Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe. This week we bring you an episode of the podcast that we originally released back in 2017, but we've now re-edited it to slow down our voices, add in an Icelandic folk song, and now it lasts four hours. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunt. And Sam Clements. Sam, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's fun to be asked on to the, uh, this epic four-hour podcast. It's a film you could not do on your own podcast. No, definitely, definitely, definitely not. I, I usually am found watching under 90-minute films on the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest, and uh, this goes against every fibre of my being. <laughs> did you, did also, you decide... Also, like being on a holiday. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, decide, by the way, whether films with that are taken over 90 minutes by the credits should count or not? Oh yeah, this has been a really weird thing that's come up um, with some of our guests lately, and and I think just generally it seems to be Americans don't like really broadly speaking, but it's all been American guests who've queried me on this. Don't seem to want to count the credits as part of a film's runtime, whereas <laughs> I feel like it's part of the whole package, especially on you know what you go special in the superhero films. You know, there's often bits of story in the credits and at the end of the credits. Um, yeah, right. But also, like the credits are obviously part of the film, guys. Come on. Um, but I've, I've been sort of <laughs> surprised by people choosing films which are like they say like, oh, it's under ninety minutes without credits. I'm like, well, then it's not under ninety minutes. <laughs> Um, it's a slippery which, slope, yeah, I did a Twitter you know. poll which was like pretty much 50-50 uh, on it for quite a long time and then it eventually did pivot to you know you should include the credits in the runtime but it was something like 54 to 46 or something it was it was tight and it should not have been tight it's like if you look at the back of a DVD and it says you know the runtime it doesn't say 112 minutes excluding credits it's the yeah, whole right. the whole thing when you press play I, on I the disc I just think it's a it's a slippery slope because if you cut off the end credits you can start cutting off the start credits and if you do Hell, that yeah. you can start saying well the film doesn't really start until 10 minutes in <laughs> then where are you <laughs> This is this is the Netflix experience that you're describing. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that was the other thing Netflix of because like everybody often our podcast gets tagged into people saying like 
Um, if someone mentions like a streaming service should have a 90 minutes category, uh, people tag us into the posts, which is nice uh, to see. Now TV, where today's film was watched, actually does have an under 90 minute uh, category, which is all under 90 minutes. But Netflix have just introduced an under 90 minute category, which has got some 95 minute films in, some 94 <laughs> minutes, just 90 ballpark sort of area. And I'm sure that that will... That- their cutoff will start the moment that that little box shows up in the bo- in the bottom corner to say what you might like to watch next. Yeah, that's true. They do hate credits. It's a they big conspiracy. Down with and, big credits. And, al- and also, Sam, you can click skip intro as well. You know, if you want to <laughs> miss those on TV shows as well. So yeah. Well, Netflix I'm even sure. allows you to play things at a higher speed. So if you wanted to yeah, watch like 13 going too. on 30 at 1.25 speed that's totally something you could do over there if that was what possible if... for this film i would have done it <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> i'm sure there are listeners listening to us at one point something speed right now um, <laughs> <laughs> trying to uh trying to make this episode slightly shorter than the snyder cut so uh yeah listeners we we are here to discuss uh zach snyder's 2021 cut of justice league but before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain a comic book concept that I just don't understand. And James, this week, um, there are reports that Marvel are already busy developing a spin-off of uh, their Hawkeye TV show mm-hmm. about, the, about the character of Echo. Yeah. So c- can you tell me, who is uh, who's this Echo? Who is Echo? Have you not read Bendis' Daredevil? Ah, bits. Um, okay, so so Echo what is a character. What you've got to remember, James, is most of the comics I read were about three years ago in this podcast when I was reading a lot of comics at the same time. <laughs> and there's a there's there is more about comics from that era that I've forgotten than of the original Justice League movie. <laughs> okay, so um, Echo is a character called Maya Lopez. She is a Native American who is deaf. Um, Justice is deaf. Quite. <laughs> um, but she has the ability to copy any uh, sort of any fighting move she sees. Or just any physical movement she sees. Like she can imitate dance moves and, and combat. Um, mm. And the Kingpin uh, originally tricked her into being like an assassin slash enforcer for him. Um, and she fought Daredevil and eventually... Uh, figured out that actually the Kingpin had killed her father and uh, became a kind of freelance hero. She was, for a while, um, she was uh, the second Ronin, or possibly third Ronin, depending on whether you uh, count Daredevil as one. Because he very briefly wore the costume, I think. But yeah, she was was in the Avengers using the Ronin identity for a while. So is that her connection to Hawkeye? Um, presumably, I mean, there, w- there wasn't really any connection to them in the comics. Uh, I'm slightly surprised she's turning up in his TV show, really. Um, Here's a question then. Do you think she makes sense in the MCU without Daredevil? Can you, can you, ha- is there a, is there a, you know, can you imagine a, a version of the MCU that has Echo and no Daredevil whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, the... I guess the reason she was created for Daredevil was to be be a sort of foil in the, you know, Daredevil's blind and she's deaf and they they have this kind of similarity to them, this duality. Mm. But there's no reason you couldn't lift her out and just do an entire 
just doing an entire series based around that one character. Like the only, the only thing that I find interesting is that they will presumably have to lift the kingpin out of her origin story. But again, it can be any it can be any mob boss killing her father and you know, subsequently I, employing her quite easily. I could imagine. I could imagine the kingpin being in the MCU already, and then we just haven't heard about him because we don't really have many characters that we've followed in the MCU that have been on that ground level. And it, you no, know, it indeed, makes, it makes but... sense that Spider Man hasn't come across him yet, and you know there are going to be. There are going to be crime bosses, right? Well, it does. As soon as you use the kingpin, you raise the question of whether Daredevil is is canon anymore or not. I mean, it would be very good fun to see Wilson Fisk from Daredevil back in the MCU, but I don't know if they'd do it. They'd probably make him play a different character. Like they would, it would be the same. (laughs) We get Vincent D'Onofrio back, but he'd be playing like you know Daredevil's uncle or something. (laughs) It's 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 got to be a knob joke now. It's (laughs) Wilson Weiner. I kind of I I know there's been rumors about Charlie Cox maybe being in Spider Man Far From I don't know what's it called Spider Man No Way Home No Way, no home, way yeah. home No Way Home Yeah I forget that every time um, <laughs> There's been rumors right that Charlie Cox is going to be back in that show as potentially as Spider Man's lawyer mm-hmm. I I kind of think Feige's going to do it with with Charlie Cox and. You know, and just kind of. I mean, I I, <laughs> I was watching Disney Plus. I was watching Working Girl on Disney Plus the other day, and I was like, "Oh my god, boobs on Disney Plus!" <laughs> um, <laughs> which it's it's jarring and it's weird, but also it made it did make me think like <sighs> they don't have to go. They don't have to point you in the direction of going back to watch that Daredevil show if Charlie Cox or if Vincent D'Onofrio turn up. They can just acknowledge. That's really good casting. Let's have these characters around and do something different with them this time. So Yeah. Yeah. It would be it would be good to see them back. Yeah. And and you know, whether you want that original show to be canon or not. They could I kinda I kinda like it. Yeah, I think it fits in. I think they should just take every bit where Daredevil kills not kill someone. When he like whenever someone gets a spike jab through the head or something, they can just cover it with Daryl <laughs> Hannah's hair. Eyes. No, there was always stuff with spikes and eyes. Yeah. Were you a Daredevil Snyder fan? in to re-edit it into a four-hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> All three seasons. And then that becomes canon on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> We're going to stick with the MCU for our first piece of news this week. And um, listen, some <laughs> you might be used to this. Some superhero movie dates are moving. Um <laughs> Black Widow was due to come out at the start of May, which was before, in the you know, from from a selfish UK perspective, was slightly before the restrictions were going to change to us to allow us back into cinemas again. That has now moved back to July 9th. Um, and the new release strategy is that it will be released in theatres and on Disney Plus with Premiere Access simultaneously. So I think if that's consistent with what they've just done for Raya and the Last Dragon, that'll be twenty pounds uh, to watch to watch the movie in the comfort of your own home. Um, or on July 9th, you can go into a cinema. Um, that's also had a knock-on effect on Shang Chi as well. Uh, Shang Chi is now going to be released on September the third, and then Eternals is still set for November. Spider Man No Way Home, remember that, <laughs> is still due for December. I guess there's some clarity here. It feels it feels like with that with that Disney Plus 
Premier Access in there that Black Widow is going to be released on July 9th. That's that's the way mm-hmm. I see it. Um, now, Sam, your day job is you work for a cinema. <laughs> you have yeah. to deal with this. <laughs> You've had to deal with all of this um, uncertainty around cinema releases for o- over a year now. Um, d- does this feel like good news or bad news to you? Uh, it's been a real, yeah, it's been a real shuffle. My, my day job is marketing for a cinema company. So my job is to basically tell customers when films are released. And in the last year, it's been like juggling water, you know, like, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like we, we're really, we have really good relationships with the movie studios and the distributors. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for when someone looks at me in the face on a zoom call and goes, guys, we are definitely gonna release black widow 7th of may absolutely no problem <laughs> whatsoever so then i'm you know they're emailing our customers to see good news guys it's coming um and then quickly retracting that the, the day later when disney stabbed me in the back um <laughs> it's been it's been um it's been really tricky <laughs> doing that yeah. job um but like we've, we've i just sort of feel like by this point we've kind of seen it all and i think audiences also like nobody is attached to release dates until like they they literally see tickets on sale because I think everybody who's been excited about one of the major releases that has uh, you know inevitably been postponed over the last year um, has sort of come to terms with it. So we had like Am we I had crazy for believing them this time. With that with that July 9th day, I believe that that movie will come out on July 9th. I I sort of like it, it, you should believe it. It, they've got the get out clause of if cinemas have to close again for whatever reason or something goes horribly yeah. wrong, it can go on to Disney Plus. But we've seen things move <laughs> like yeah. for so many different reasons. Like I, I still think you should probably keep, you know, like there's probably like a five percent chance that it, it could still move. Okay. You never know. <laughs> what we don't know is the reaction from the major exhibitors who who may or may not want to play Black Widow now and, and what effects that will have on, on these things. Because... Because there was the that last... new agreement, wasn't there, earlier in the... Was that at the end of last year around theatrical windows in the UK? Yeah, every, every cinema chain and every distributor is sort of having their own conversations about this. So there isn't a huge consensus at the moment. But we've seen things like AMC have got a deal with Paramount and Universal. Uh, Regal and Cineworld have got a deal with Warner Brothers. Like These are the ones that have been reported, but everybody's busy talking um, at the moment. Okay. And Disney hasn't come out and said they have a deal. So, so you do wonder whether major exhibitors would want to play Black Widow like obviously they all want to play black widow but yeah. you know with it on on the streaming service we don't know disney's last two examples of doing this were mulan which came out when all of the cinemas in the u.s were closed you know and most of the cinemas around the rest of the world were closed the uk was open when mulan came out as a premium title uh, but that mm. was that wasn't a conversation when raya came out a couple of weeks ago pretty much every cinema everywhere is closed so it wasn't an issue yeah doing this whilst cinemas in theory should be open you know on a pretty wide scale um that's new and we don't know you know what the stance is with with the major exhibitors there so i don't know i still think conversations are happening and things could change uh there but um i also really want to see black widow so it's kind of nice to hear that (laughs) maybe maybe there's a chance to do that (laughs) one thing's for sure once you know once I, i mean i i wouldn't say return to normal but once things start to return to a new normal 
we're going to have a lot of stuff to watch. And that's... Yes. <laughs> we're going to have three, three Marvel movies in four months. Well, we're going to have four, yeah, four in the second yeah. half of the year, aren't we? Because yeah. there's Eternals, isn't there, on the... In, in, which has moved now to November. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like September, nothing in October, have a break, watch James Bond, watch Mission Impossible, and then we're back in November, <laughs> back in December. Uh, the popcorn will uh... not even be digested from Eternals when you're watching Spider-Man. That's how it's going to be. <laughs> Sam, I've got to tell you, I've, I've been putting together our, our podcast schedule for the rest of the year um, in the last couple of days. We've also, I don't know if you know, but there's going to be carnage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Venom, Venom has decreed that he will let there be carnage. And um, and we're also going to get the Suicide Squad as well later this year. So, um, you know, it, it, for, from our podcast, podcast point of view, we've got a lot of new movies. Have we checked in with Morbius lately? What, what's happening there? Oh yeah, what's happening with that's, him? That's I moved think... to twenty twenty two. There is no good rush to, give it to some release space, Morbius. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. good <laughs> I think it's a February. It's one of those coveted February um, releases <laughs> for re- It's the bloodshot spot. The, yeah. <laughs> did you read the interview with Jared Leto where he was talking about like I don't think there's ever been a character that has been more like me that I've played, and I'm like, do you know what? I believe that. <laughs> I believe that Jared Leto. <laughs> I believe that this is your small personal role. <laughs> Righty, yeah, I totally okay. forgot Morbius existed. Um, I think you yeah. forward to. <laughs> okay. Um, talking of more future superhero movies, uh, this one isn't due until... Ooh, is this 2022? No, 2023. We're talking about a 2023 movie now. It's Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode because Black Adam's ramping up towards production, um, but Shazam Fury of the Gods is still on its way. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Rachel Zegler was cast in the movie. Now, she is um, an up-and-coming actress who we should have met in West Side Story as the new Maria uh, last Christmas, but that was you know one of the movies that had to move out of the way and they decided to skip this Oscar season entirely in a looking at next year instead. Uh, so Rachel Zegler was cast in, the, in Shazam! Fury of the Gods, but now we have the movie's uh, big villain has been cast, and it's Helen Mirren, which I I'd like. I kind of love Helen Mirren, the way that she has just embraced the idea of... Um, actually, you know, she said she was desperate to be in a Fast and Furious movie, and they heard her and went, yeah, okay. You can be you can be Jason Statham's mum. Please come along. Um, so she is going to be playing a character called Hespera in um, in the Shazam sequel. Now, I, I'm reading here from superherohype.com as uh, they've they've handily summarised this for me. Uh, Hespera is in you know in kind of Greek mythology. She's the daughter of Atlas, but Hespera doesn't have a DC Comics counterpart atlas does but atlas is a hero in dc comics and hesper is going to be the villain here um i think hollywood reporter also said that they believe that um her and rachel zegler would be playing siblings in the movie um so james can you unpack any of that from a from a comic book perspective does this i I, I everything you know from the from the fact this is called Shazam Fury of the Gods. I am um, 
so thrilled that this movie is going to be embracing the tonal imbalance that the first movie <laughs> did <laughs> between between the kind of like terrifying villainy on one side and the kids turning into like bubblegum superheroes at the other side. <laughs> I mean, this is it's sort of out of my field of experience in that it's you know much like Marvel, uh, DC, the DC universe has like the pantheon of. Roman slash Greek gods in it. I mean, you've seen some of that in Wonder Woman already. Um, and in Justice League. Indeed, quite. Um, <laughs> so I imagine it's going to draw on that. It's. I do find it interesting that they've picked a character who, as you say, doesn't have a counterpart in the existing universe. Like, that may be an attempt to, to sort of get away from the, the need to tie in with stuff like Wonder Woman. So it could be a deliberate move, but... Um, It'll be interesting to see one way or another, put it that way. Or, or maybe or maybe just to not mess with stuff that feels like it's more Wonder Woman's realm. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. They, yeah. I mean, Shazam does have the thing of, like, his powers come literally from the gods, so it's not it's not completely divorced from... From, from the fury the, of the gods. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> it's not completely divorced from Shazam's mythology, but, you know, you can you can understand why they would fence off a bit. Sam, you um, in preparation for the Snyder Cut, you rewatched all of the DCEU movies in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, March has been all about DC, I think, uh, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say and a weird thing to do. Uh, but Shazam <laughs> is absolutely, officially, categorically the best film in the DCEU. So I'm all for uh, Shazam 2 plus Helen Mirren. Um, what, a, what, a, what a great <laughs> casting you, um... choice. <laughs> I, I, I like I am broadly positive on Shazam. Do you do you get what I mean about that slight that tonal imbalance in the first movie that it it kind of cuts from like kind of sugary sweet family stuff to oh my god what is Mark Strong doing to that guy? <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? The DC um, and Warner's have, have recruited a, quite a few like horror film directors um, mm. to come in and and look after these films and the director of Shazam. Uh, whose name I've totally forgotten. You know, as, as a David F. Sandberg. David Sandberg. Um, who... He did um, Lights Out, right? Yeah, he did Lights Out. And did he do an Annabelle or something like that? Like a, oh, one that, of their that, sort of Warner's horror films? That would, that would make sense. Um, an Annabelle or a Nun? Or one, a... Of their, one of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then and you, you sort of see that in the really gory... Um, scenes in there, like there's scenes with people's heads being bitten off and a man gets thrown out a window and and then, yeah, the end is really fun and comic booky. But it reminds me a little bit of those Amblin films in the 80s, like Gremlins. Yes. Um, you know, it's got that kind of vibe. You know, it's it's sort of theoretically for kids, but there's a bit of swearing, you know, there might be like a tiny bit of nudity or, or something really violent happens. But I think it's got that kind of like Joe Dante, John Landis, uh, sort of Toby Hooper kind of 80s vibe. Uh, to it which i really really enjoyed and i was also thinking about this right so the 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 first shazam movie came out in 2019 so it's gonna be a four-year gap between the films which means those kids are going to be four years older and we're also you know kind of inevitably building towards a black adam shazam movie with the rock which you know feels like it's going to be a bit darker and more serious as well and that maybe this is a franchise that's kind of that's kind of kind of going to grow up with its heroes um and and get a bit darker and get a bit more serious it's going to do a harry potter yes (laughs) 
I do. I do remember as a teenager. Every every I, every time they would have like a Harry Potter cover feature, it would be this year. It would be Daniel Radcliffe going, "Yeah, this one's this one's really a bit darker than the last one." I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but like, it's really this one's kind of gritty. And I know I said the last one was gritty. But this one's grittier. <laughs> If you thought the last Harry Potter was gritty, wait until you see this one. I think it got to the point with Harry Potter where the films almost got like desaturated towards the end, so the picture was literally darker on screen. <laughs> you had David Yates literally like scraping little rocks along along the print. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I I like the idea of Helen Mirren here. She's. Uh, I, my impulse is to say she's going to be playing quite a campy villain, um, but I don't know. She's she, she's just in those Fast and Furious movies. She's just kind of like a nasty Cockney. She's she can play a great anything. Time she's films, Judy yeah. Dench. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I guess in the first one you got Mark Strong, and they're going for like you know just like British acting royalty kind of villain uh, vibe in in these films. So uh, yeah, you know you can one up Mark Strong with Helen Mirren. That works for me. Let's move on now to um, another DC movie, a DC movie that's uh, that's we didn't know was happening until very recently, uh, which is Zatanna. Um, now Zatanna uh, is a character that James is going to explain to us shortly. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Variety reported this week that um, Emerald Fennel, who is the writer, director, producer of Promising Young Woman, uh, who has just been nominated for a shed load of Oscars for that movie, and um, you know, as as I, I think has like made Oscar history with the you know nominations for a, for a female director for their first movie. Um, she has been hired as the screenwriter. Um, now I haven't seen "Promising Your Woman." Uh, "Promising Your Woman," <laughs> if I can, if I can say that title. Um, Sam, have you seen? Have you seen the movie yet? Uh, Pyw. Uh, not seen PYW Absolutely. yet. No, I. I um, so this film premiered at Sundance in 2020, uh, and yeah. it was really buzzy. And it had a April 2020 release date. Yeah. Uh, all those people tried to release films in April 2020. So yeah, I. I know like lots of, I guess industry bods and critics will have seen it because they were gearing up for this April release. They did the festival circuit, and now now they've been trying. You know, they've been all the awards voters have been watching it. Sam, twist some arms. Can we bring back double bills? <laughs> You want the pieces of a woman promising young woman double bill? <laughs> not that, not that, in, not that particularly. But when we, you know, we've got all of these movies coming back. Let's just, let's just package some of them together. Oh, I see, yeah, let's you know, we some... could do A features and B features. That'd be fun. Yeah, one ticket, five hours of entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> give me, give me Black Widow follow, followed by Promising Your Young Woman is what I'm, I can't say that title. But that's what I'm asking for. Um, now I, I see. I'm very much intrigued by this movie because it's getting. It's you know, it's got some very good reviews. It's been nominated for a lot of awards. My, I'm most familiar with Emerald Fennel for having written the second season of Killing Eve, um, which I thought was rubbish. oh dear, it was very bad. It was yeah, extremely bad. And I, you know, I don't know whether it was slightly a poison chalice because. Killing Eve feels like one of those things that could have been an amazing one season thing and then done. Yeah. And then Emerald Fentanyl gets handed the second season. It's like, um, and can you just, 
you just go back to them chasing each other. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by what I will ultimately think of Promising Young Woman. Um, and interestingly here, she's been hired as the writer of Zatanna rather than writer-director. I mean, I guess she could ultimately do both, but that's, uh, that's what they brought her on to do. So I don't... Like instinctively i kind of go oh because the only thing that i know that she's done i didn't like um but also you know she's uh, she seems to have done pretty well out of promising your woman so um still can't say it um <laughs> pyw <laughs> the old pyw she's yeah, inter- she's a really interesting figure in in film like she she's also had a really you know a good career as an actor in quite some you know major films including albert knobs uh anna Karenina, <laughs> joe, the joe wright film joe wright's pan um before she sort of pivoted lot, into writing and directing. A lot of people know her because she has played Camilla Parker Bowles recently in The Crown. Ah, yeah. Um, and was in Call the Midwife as well, which, um, yeah, so I'm sure I'm sure there will be lots of people going, oh, huh, when they see her, like, on the front page of whatever newspaper the day after the Oscars. Um, James, tell us about Zatanna, though. Um <laughs> This, sure. um, she's. I, I've read. A, I've read a little bit of Zatanna actually, mm-hmm. and 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 um, I know her from popping up in Batman the Animated Series as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Zatanna. And I like her. <laughs> yeah, Zatanna's um, just a, a sort of sorceress character. She's kind of DC's answer to the Scarlet Witch, I would say. Um, her her powers were inherited from her father. Um, and to to cast a spell, she has to say the the incantation as a backwards word, or at least that's how she chooses to do it. Um, I mean, she's got she's got links to characters like Constantine and Batman. Uh, she's in the Justice League for a bit, you know. She's just she's one of those sort of characters who fills a niche. Like if you're doing a story about sorcery, you're bringing Zatanna. Um, a bit more, a bit more popular as a lead than the Scarlet Witch, but like I say, occupying that same story niche. She's been around since the sixties too. She's always from from what I've seen of her, James. She's always seemed like more of a kind of like she's got kind of like a, a showman stage magician. Kind yeah, yeah, of vibe she is. She than... is an accomplished stage stage magician as well, and that's the kind of aesthetic that she uh, leans on. So if we're saying stage magician and kind of like the Scarlet Witch, maybe Emerald Fennel has been brought on to do a glamour and flourish kind of <laughs> writ large on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, potentially. <laughs> I mean, that would definitely be one way you could go with it for sure. Cool. Okay, so Zatanna. Um, I mean, let's see if it happens because if there's, it, you know, as we said, all movies are in flux, but after, you know, after the Snyder Cut, who knows what the future of DC is? We we could be restoring the Snyderverse, you guys. <laughs> I, Every I've film is going to be Twitter, four hours long. <laughs> 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 Every film, if it's bad, will be recut and until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll rest, we'll restore the Zatanna Cut, the the Fennel Cut. We'll recut the Fennel in twenty twenty seven. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, we've done some news. I've enjoyed it. But, you know, we know what we're all here for. We're here. We're here for Zack Snyder. We're here for his four hours of 
Well, we're going to get into it. So um, we'll take a quick break. Guys, listen to the trailer for the Snyder Cup. Enjoy that and we'll be back with you with our spoiler-filled thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. strong enough. If you can't bring down the charging bull, then don't wave the red cape at it. You were sent here for a reason. And even if it takes you the rest of your life, find out what that reason is. said the age of heroes will never come again. is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs no deductibles no enrollment periods and especially no more what ifs visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Okay, listeners, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, give you a little peek behind the curtain here. When, we are, when we're recording our podcast, we like to do a little clap before we get going to bring ourselves up all in sync. And our claps on the Zoom recording just rippled out across the universe, <laughs> alerting the mother boxes <laughs> that we are talking about them. And they've been communicating with Steppenwolf, who in turn has been communicating with some guy on a slab, who in turn <laughs> works for Darkseid. And I was just going to say we're in trouble, because uh, they know we're talking about it and they're listening. Um <laughs> Well, actually, so, Dark, Darkseid isn't that interested in Earth, but he's found something else on Earth that he's interested in. Yes, that's accurate. <laughs> um, we have watched Zack Snyder's Justice League. Obviously, context for anyone that has uh, been living in a hole, there was, there was a Zack Snyder Justice League in 2017, except Joss Whedon was brought in to finish the movie and I think, you know, what we've since found out is not just finish the movie but was also brought in earlier to do rewrites, ended up directing some stuff on the set while Zack Snyder was still technically in charge of that movie. Um, Snyder obviously suffered his, uh, you know, uh, the, the loss in his personal life which led him to withdraw from the film. Whedon finished it. Uh, what's become clear is that he, um, you know, I think probably at the studio's behest, um, took a lot of the Snyderisms out, added some scenes, changed some scenes, and uh, we got a movie in 2017 that no one really liked. I don't think we liked it on this podcast. Um, it, you know, very uneven, really incoherent, didn't feel like the that much was earned. There was some very kind of like basic, it felt like kind of save the cat screenwriting stuff that was tossed <laughs> in there with a, with a Russian family that needed to be saved. And, um, <laughs> Forgotten about them. And, you know, we never united the seven. We, we, <laughs> we only, un- we, we only united the six. Um, Zack Snyder's fans have spent the past four years campaigning for the release of the campaigning. That's an interesting word. <laughs> So and and it happened kind of straight away, right? It was it was pretty imminent that they went. No, that's that's not like, that's not what we signed up for. That's not a Snyder film, and I know that his name's on the credits, but that's not a Snyder. Film. I mean, when when was it? There was that famous like, was it a photo that he tweeted or something, or was it on Vero or something? I don't know where he was yeah, like. You're right. As I he was outgoing. He... He had that, he, that uh, shot of the tin, wasn't it? The Snyder cut tin. He a, uh, he lives on that social platform Vero, and and I think he's been yeah. slowly like stoking the the fire. I mean, maybe it was just a bit of fun at the beginning um, to be like, "Oh, hey, here's my version of this film you'll never see," <laughs> and then everybody. I do, went, rem- I do remember there was there were like some some news articles and stuff about how we had liked to tweet slagging off Joss Whedon or something, and it was like. At the time, he was fairly quiet, but also, if you were following him closely, you could you could glean his opinion of the movie from, you know, the I, slight movements he was making on social media. Well, I th- so I think that it was it was very much fan generated to begin with. Uh, Snyder kind of withdrew publicly for you know some time around the release. Obviously, as, as you said, he 
uh, he lost his daughter and was was obviously grieving that loss and took himself away from work for a, a significant chunk of time. It was fan-led, and then I think after a while, Snyder still says he hasn't watched Joss Whedon's version. Um, <laughs> I, d- I don't know whether to believe him, to be honest with you, um, but he, that that's what he says. Um, meanwhile, it, it, you know, the fans started the uh, release the Snyder Cut hashtag. They uh, like hired planes flying over conventions and billboards and all sorts of stuff and then eventually i think what happened was snyder who i think you know has made it pretty clear in in the last few months felt burned by the studio felt let down by the experience uh felt that you know the movie was being taken away from him before he needed to withdraw and that that was what made withdrawing an easier decision to make um and yeah and he began fanning the flames and i i i don't think we need to relitigate too much all of the stuff that's happened in terms of the you know the, the way that fans have comported themselves to get to this point because you know i i think that there there's obviously two factions there are there's a faction that just wanted that this film to come back out and were very passionate about that and and kept kept that fight ongoing as long as they could and then there are there's the other faction of fans and this film has seemed to attract a lot more than most projects do (laughs) the ones Um, who have systematically abused anyone who disagrees with them you mean yes um you know and i i feel like i've seen that even in the past week that anyone Mm. who didn't like the snyder cut particularly women um, it seems get a lot of abuse online um, from those fans. Uh, Snyder has been asked about it recently, has, has tried to distance himself from it and has said, well, you know, look, they have done a lot of good. They raised a lot of money for charity, etc. Um, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a bit it's, of the Nazis um, made the trains run on time, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's really tricky to, to tell from the outside kind of what, you know, is it a very vocal minority or is it, uh, you know, is it a majority of people who, yeah, just just you know go out? So, you know, I, I I tweeted a couple of times about the Snyder Cut, not not particularly devastating stuff, but would you know would get messages from people who didn't follow me, uh, correcting me or abusing me. Um, I think James, you've had that on a few occasions as well. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, here we are. The movies come out and. Um, the reaction has certainly been a lot more positive than the reaction was to the arrival of the original 2017 movie. Sam, how much of an improvement was it for you? Uh, four hours of improvement. Uh, I mean, I, th- <laughs> I think that the um, the version that we saw of this um, in 2017 was is barely a film. Like it's so compromised, yeah. and you know, I, I, to prepare. For the the Snyder Cut, I rewatched all of the uh, the DCEU films, and it's it's just the worst. It's uh, it's so so bad, and it's it's just such a mess. And I I'm amazed that they've they've been able to you know reorder this structure into something which is a coherent and b you know fun. I I I I, I just think it works um, there, and I think it's this fascinating curio of like like I I enjoy sort of trying to work out how it's changed over the time and you know what 
what was added in post in this latest run and what was an original production yeah. decision. So uh, it's Which just fun, like, jigsaw of a film. Which I don't ever get to the bottom of. No, and I think we'll never know. So it's just fun, like, you can just posit your theory and, and see, and there's lots of stuff on social media about... You know, people going frame by frame to go through it and try and decipher, um, you know, the code of the Snyder Cut. But um, yeah, I, I just think it's this like weird soup of a film which um, went down pretty well for me. I had a good time. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Producer producer Reese and I have been uh, going back and forth on this for for years because uh, Reese was insistent that there was a version of this movie. Well, that that the what that there was a Snyder Cut, and I was like, but they they're just they're there fundamentally can't be i'm sure that there is like an unfit like there's an assembly cut or mm. there is a is or there's an unfinished uh, you know there's there's a cut that just doesn't have the cgi finished or um yeah you know but i just don't i i never believed that there was a releasable version of the snyder cut that as soon as warner brothers kind of buckled and said okay you can you can send it out now um that there was and snyder has kind of said right that he had something that they offered to release and he was like no either you let me go in and do the work to finish it or or nothing i you know i kind of want i want it to be my complete unparalleled vision and then you watch this movie and you go what did he spend the 70 million dollars on what's 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 the new footage um because apparently there's not much new footage so is it just cgi uh, was was it expensive to get actors back in? Uh, it sounds like it might have been rescored. How much? How much money did it cost to? You know, what was the movie full? Was it really ready to be shown in four three straight away, or did they have to do some work tidying that up? Because even in one of the trailers, there was some like bleed in the edge of the frames when it was when it was shown in four mm. in four three. I think they've made a um, picture of the the bleed or or whatever it is. I, I don't know if they've added it. It reminds me of those TVs that have like LEDs on the back. So if there's like something, yeah. an explosion, then the red lights come on. Because that happens quite a lot in this film. It's during the like action and explosion scenes. But I, I sort of think it's kind of a neat curio. I, I do think, and again, like we'll never know, but I think if this was released in 2017, it absolutely would not have been in 4.3. <laughs> um, no, you know, no, I don't, yeah. The way they've, they've made it 4.3 is it's like a really backwards way as well. Like it's not really been designed to show this way. It's, I think Snyder noticed that they could present it in four, three because yes, that's what I think, you yeah. know, and, and then he sort of re-engineered it. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of nutty, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to know what the, <laughs> where the bill was. Was it just like lots of catering for all the editors working flat out <laughs> uh, to get this film on HBO max in time? It must, it must've been, it must've been CG. I, it just has to have been. I think it it's, was it... probably Steppenwolf because he is yeah. a lot of CG. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> more spikes he needs more yeah, spikes right. <laughs> I just the thing I think is that we should be referring to this film as a Snyder Cut rather than the Snyder Cut because like I just I don't think there's any way this is the film that would have come out in 2017 yeah. had Whedon not been brought in to finish it instead like mm. it, there might have been a 2, 2 hours 20 version that, that roughly yeah. resembled this and then maybe an yeah. ultimate edition Blu-ray like with yeah. Batman versus Superman, which might be yeah. over three Added hours. Another half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's heavily revisionist to in any way imply this is the film that we would have seen in cinemas four years but ago. Do you know, and do you know what? Like, uh, I, I don't even believe that this is the version, you know, that, that Snyder was able to release the version that he maybe 
envisioned after having no, made No, me Batman neither, because I just think if they'd had a releasable film, they would have released it. Like, why, you know... No, but sorry, it's, I, what it's I mean is... It's not such a disaster. What I mean is I don't... I think that when he finished Batman v Superman and he had his vision of a two-part Justice League movie... Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, call it what it is, a five-part trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he already had in mind... I think he'd already had to make compromises to what he shot at that point, mm-hmm. based on based on what the you know the audience feedback and what the studio had asked yeah. for for Justice League. I just because I think there's you know there's some of the stuff that's in Batman v Superman with that flash forwardy bit, and there's some stuff that Snyder has said, oh, I would have liked to have done this, and I would have liked to have done that, um, that I think would have been in this movie, but. He, he he had to kind of compromise and get rid of before it got in front of cameras. So even this isn't this like pure and unadulterated version. But having said that, it does feel like a very, very singular vision. It is, and I think the the word that Sam used and the word that I can't that I can't stop using when talking about the Snyder Cut is coherence. Yeah. It just it just it just really is. And maybe it's difficult to make an... Well, I was going to say maybe it's difficult to make an uncoherent four-hour movie. That's not true, demonstrably. But maybe it's hard to make an uncoherent four-hour movie that contains roughly the same amount of plot that the original Justice League did. Because what also struck me about this is structurally it's so, so similar to the Whedon version that... You're hitting, you're hitting kind of broadly the same, the same linear steps in this story, just padded out with so much more. You know, the the bits that are going to make it make more sense, the stuff that helps the plot become more coherent, but also, mm. you know, just just stuff that Snyder commits to tonally to, you know, you know, treat everything like, you know, every single little event in this movie is the most important thing that has happened until the next moment. <laughs> you're right you know, it's like it's uh, been know, like really it's like reinforced isn't it like he's taken this structure um which we've seen in the 2017 version but snyder's come in and like he's drawn over everything in pen and then he's got the felt tip <laughs> pens out and he's gone over it again and then he's just got the poster paint and he's just painting on top of it so you definitely know what happens in every scene because you see every shot from about three different angles so it is the <laughs> most coherent of films <laughs> <laughs> And Sam, you've gone. Have you gone from like two two stars to four or five stars in this movie? Well, how, how significant is the shift? Yeah, I, I think I probably like gave my gave the first one like a, a pithy one and a half because I thought it was still better yeah. than Suicide Squad, um, which was a one. <laughs> but I I think this is a I think it's a four. I like. I think I had five star fun with it the first time I watched it because I mean it wasn't shit, which is what I was sort of <laughs> expecting. Um, but I, and I, I just found just the surprise of really enjoying it was was part of it. But I, I think it is you know there there are problems with it. You could cut you could cut half an hour or so out and you wouldn't miss a single thing. <laughs> Minimum. Um, that would be totally fine. I I wouldn't want to cut it down too long too short though. I I do think there's something about this where the the length kind of feeds into the grandiose sort of pompous um sort of you know story and and you know Zack Snyder always talks about these superheroes being godlike and and I think this is sort of like godlike filmmaking in a way like it's going to be the biggest film it's the greatest show on earth um it does like it those... does have that epic scope that like maybe the Avengers film sort of aim for but don't necessarily reach because they're too 
you know, close well, up in in the way they approach the characters and the action and hmm. stuff. Whereas this, like you say, it just it it's so so grand all the way through that it does take on this kind of mythic quality. There are parts of this that feel, you know, like they are Lord of the Rings or like they're Ben Hur or yeah. you know, yes. uh, or or like one of those, you know. Uh, one of those like classic biblical epics right mm-hmm. um it has that look to it like it's not a particularly trendy looking film like i think the mcu films are all they're very cutting edge they use the best and the newest technology and it's all very sort of shiny and, and new it feels like new car and and this is like this weird like it's got a bit of character to it which i kind of like like it's not it's not totally on trend like putting it in four by three is obviously not not on trend at all for this genre um, I think it's the only four by three superhero film ever, um, or at least if you excuse the early Superman stuff from like you know the forties. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did think it was an act of willful. Um, I don't know, like exclusionism, almost, almost to say like I know everyone is going to be watching this at home on their sixteen by nine TVs, but. <laughs> Let's imagine it's an IMAX film. Are you, <laughs> sure? really you really, are you sure you don't want it to fit on anyone's screen? Is that what you want? Apparently, it's what he wanted. Yeah, I, I, I've I've had friends saying to me, "Why, why is this movie in four three? Yeah, to and I've got, to preserve and I, and the purity of his creative vision. And so the way Snyder has has discussed it, right, is that I think it was a he figured out, oh, I could do this if I want to. <laughs> And then, and then he kind of has this justification about that superheroes are these big characters, and that you want to be able to like sh- show the scope of them. But and, and I, but I do, I do kind of think it comes across, and I and I do kind of think like it, it contributes to his style that he, you know, that he pioneered in Three Hundred and Watchmen of having this cinematic style that does feel like it's emulating panels and, and, you know, like panels from, yeah, we, we were talking about the original marketing campaign, like panels from an Alex Ross comic that, that has, that has this, you know, this art that feels important. And he, he does seem like, it. I, I, I know it's retrofitted and I know it's kind of a, a happenstance because he, because he was filming with IMAX in mind originally. I do kind of, I, I do think it works. I mean, in, in fairness, Snyder's cinematography is like the one thing that I don't think any of us have ever criticised. Like, no, this re- film, regardless, this film looks great. Yeah, it yeah. Looks regardless great. of what you think of him as a as a writer and director, like everyone tends to agree. Like, yeah, the films always look brilliant. And I don't think that this movie has the most spectacularly staged action sequences that I, I don't go like oh they're incredible but i don't none of them like naff or cheap like some of the ones in the mcu could uh, often often do <laughs> even and when also, they're fighting in a car park yeah <laughs> but but you know the uh, even thinking back to batman v superman that, that there's n- there's nothing that looks like the cg mess at the end of batman v superman where they're fighting doomsday in this mm. It feels like he's learned some, and I, and I don't know if this is something he learned in the four years between this version and, and what he was working on in 2017, but like watching this so close to BVS and Man of Steel, I think they both have similar third act problems, which are, it's an hour of just C- muddy CGI fighting mm-hmm. and quite hard to see what's going on and, and the motivations aren't totally clear, uh, Martha, but 
the <laughs> in 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 this you know exactly why they're fighting and it isn't muddy cgi and you every character has a moment and there's lots of like visual stuff going on to move the story forward like i i i, I don't know if he, like he's learned this in the in between or if this he went into this film sort of you know bearing the stuff in mind and wanting to do something different but it's an improvement on what he did previously I think James, how much of it? How much of an improvement does it end up being for you? Yeah, this is what I was about to say. Actually, is that I, I was sort of surprised by how much more I enjoyed this than the original because you know, as much as I enjoyed Batman v Superman as an experience, I just I had no wish to revisit it as a film ever. Um, Man of Steel, I think I'm on record as saying I just hated from start to finish, more or less. Um, I think this version of Justice League is, by some distance, Zack Snyder's best DCEU film. And when I can imagine rewatching, even. Like, mm. it's not perfect. I think, if anything, he's gone too far in the opposite direction. It feels to me a bit like he's done an assembly cut of everything he's shot where, you know, he hasn't really edited it. There are, there are lots of bits that I think, well, that was kind of redundant, but you just you thought it was cool, so you left it in there. And mm. given that that's his general aesthetic anyway, I think fair enough. Like, that's what his fans want, and this this is a film for them, principally. Um, So yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to, and I think it's undeniably an improvement. It, it does feel incle- incredibly masturbatory, right? <laughs> and, uh, it just... It just... It just babes in this no one can tell me what to do and i'm gonna put everything in there and like i there's there's some stuff in there that i was just like wow okay so in in the, i also rewatched uh i i just rewatched batman v superman and uh the original justice league in a sensible decision <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure how sensible it was <laughs> um, but um in in Whedon's Justice League, the Amazons are attacked, and then you cut to um, it's Queen Hippolyta, isn't it? Firing the firing the arrow into the into Greece, so that Wonder Woman will see the flames, and then she'll be alerted to the fact that they've been attacked. Um, Snyder turns that five minute cut, you know, cut of five second cut of a, an arrow being shot into this like two and a half, three minute ceremonial scene of everyone being very, very solemn about the <laughs> fact that this arrow has to be fired. And ultimately, both versions get across exactly the same thing. But I think it would have felt weird if that scene had played out for any less amount of time in the <laughs> Snyder version because because it, it does end up all being so of a piece because everything is treated with that weight and that importance and that, you know... it. It, it just it gets to the point that once you're two and a half three hours in you're like if if anything does pass by quickly you're like huh shouldn't you have uh, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't you have spent shouldn't you have spent 10 seconds at the end of that scene staring into the distance contemplating it well that's the the thing about scope isn't it like you know you can you can get across the same story point in five seconds or five minutes depending on how you you approach the material, but the way that Snyder approaches it is everything is going to be huge and important and we're going to dwell on these moments so that you really feel them and get time 
time to digest them so that you understand that actually this is a big deal and it matters to them so it should matter to you hmm. and yeah yeah it would and like it works it undeniably it works um i do want to <laughs> i do i do want to kind of take a step back and look at look at what got us to this movie that exists in this form because um i think in in a way it's kind of beneficial that snyder that that he took the knock on batman v superman and then and then was was able to because i i don't think he would have delivered a movie as good as this in 2017 i just don't think he would have done Mm. um and you know re-watching Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. It'd be it'd be good for you guys to chime in and and see if you agree or disagree here. But Man of Steel, I've always been conflicted by because I think it's it's quite a well made movie and it has some really strong moments and I think it's cast pretty well and I think you know Diane Lane's good and Kevin Costner's good and I think Cavill works and that first flight sequence is incredible Hmm. and then it just kind of eats itself in a third act where you know with with distance we kind of forget it but that third act it, it ended it ended up being the kind of the comparison point that all superhero movies for the next few years were judged against because here was superman crashing through a city having a scrap with a bloke from his original from his home planet and seeming to not really care about the destruction and devastation that's caused Mm -hmm. and i remember you know it felt like age of ultron when that movie came out was being very deliberate about the avengers here their mission is to get people out um and and then and then batman v superman came along and kind of reframed that that sequence for its opening section and went here is bruce wayne watching this and thinking exactly what you were thinking and then I kind of think that that movie breaks for for two reasons. One that 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 foundation of Man of Steel is so is so shaky to build a Superman movie on because Superman, you know, to all intents and purposes, he is the version that that Bruce Wayne saw because he did do that stuff. He did he was partly responsible for all of those people in Metropolis dying. And I'm kind of on board with that movie with I'm kind of on board with Batman's viewpoint throughout that film going yeah this dude is dangerous <laughs> because lo- because look what he did and then we've litigated the Martha moment so many times in the past but the Martha moment I think is is silly in its execution and the the way that you know audiences on mass reacted to that moment I think <laughs> is testament to the to the fact that they got that moment wrong but for me the for me the bigger flaw is okay that's silly but i see what you were going for there that both of these characters um have have experienced loss and that the one thing that might get through to batman is seeing this guy in his you know with his with his death rattle call out for his mum in and and that's the that's the thing the loss of his mum is the thing that has motivated him to get to this point for me, it's the fallout from that that suddenly Batman just goes like two thirty seconds later, going, 
yeah, I am a friend of your son. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like that and just um, kind of... line in Step Brothers where they go like, did we just become best friends? Yes, uh, it's exactly that. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, I think that's the, the film gets uh, messy. Like, I don't really buy it in that film where Batman is adamant he has to kill Superman. Like, he, he, gets, he gets quite worked up about that and then that complete reversal into the third act is... It's all yeah. just a bit too fast. It's not really earned. Like, I think the story could do that if if it was maybe if it was four hours long and they spent a bit more time building up their relationship <laughs> and, and and wonder woman comes into that third act and we and we don't really know her or i don't really know what she's contributing and there's that uh, there's that kind of grim joke in the it that really oh i thought she was with you um and i, I yeah i i think that is i still think that batman v superman even with the stuff that they added back in for to the ultimate cut to make it more coherent um i still think it's a bad movie that fundamentally doesn't work and it's and it's a superhero universe that's built on kind of toxic wasteland because of the <laughs> because of some of the creative decisions that were made over those two movies and going into justice league the first time around i think I think most audiences were closer to what I've just described than than your kind of you know uh, really ardent Snyder fans, um, and and you know b- beside the fact that Justice League got bad reviews and didn't have a great marketing campaign and was you know was a bad movie that that people didn't like in and of itself. I think there was a there was a general disinterest because it 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 hadn't it hadn't done the hard work to set up the Justice League, it hadn't it was built on the shaky ground of the movies that had come before, and I think that there was just that that sour taste of Batman v Superman was still there when Justice League came out. But but Joe, they all had logos to... on Lex Luthor's computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the yeah, the, all of that stuff in Batman v Superman is so bad. The logos, the 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 flash scene which seems to it seems <laughs> after having watched the Snyder cut that all of the kind of Justice League teases that were in the few, what, that were in Batman v Superman were actually for Justice League Part 2 they're not that's, that's not none of that was for the movie that we've just seen that was for the next movie that presumably won't be made um but yeah i think now a justice league movie coming out in 2021 it doesn't and tell me how you guys feel it doesn't feel like a follow-up necessarily to batman v superman anymore it just feels like a new version of justice league and so somehow this movie and it's and in all of its four-hour glory feels like something you can assess on its own merits but also against the 2017 version Mm. and and you barely you barely really think about batman v superman or man of steel when you're watching it because it's it's been able to become its own entity um in a way that any 2017 version of this movie even if it had been the the full unadulterated snyder version i think would have been saddled with that baggage and and wouldn't have been received as warmly and i think you know snyder would have would have poured more of that bullshit in there to be honest with you (laughs) four years ago than that that he isn't able to now I, i've said like some of the stuff that he said that he wanted to include in this movie he's talked in interviews at some point about how like um after superman died bruce wayne and lois would have hooked up at some point 
and there's the the flash forward scene in Batman v Superman is is uh, and and the dark the the like dark side dream that he has um, is Superman saying, "Oh, you took her from me," and I think that that was that's not just a, a death thing. That is a you uh, you copped off with my missus after I died. <laughs> you shit. Um, <laughs> and- Which, let's face it, is that is representative of one of Snyder's worst excesses, and I'm glad that basically didn't make it into the movie because you know. And the idea, sort of, the way, the way to make powerful men angry is to attack their women or take their women. It's like it's just an he, embarrassing way to look at women generally. And even some of the stuff that Snyder has said in interviews coming up to this about how, like, and, and not just coming up to this, but like he's talked about in the past, like, you know, if I had, to, if I made a Batman movie, I'd probably be the guy that, like, when he's in prison, he'd get raped in prison. He wouldn't learn to be a, he wouldn't learn, to, and and you're going, it just, it just feels really edgelordy mm-hmm. right the way the way that he the way that he talks about these approaches these characters and the way that the way that those first two movies seem to be a cynical deconstruction of batman and superman rather than like a building of a myth mm. whereas this this film for all of the stuff that snyder has said away from the screen what is left here actually it does feel like one of these grand mythic tales. It does feel like it's building the legends of these characters. Mm. Um, certainly with the new characters that it introduces um, and the stuff that it's able to do with, um, I think, Cyborg in particular, but Flash as well. Um, it Yeah, it, it does feel like a more sentimental filmmaker has made this than the guy who couldn't wait to be able to let Batman say fuck. <laughs> I mean, he did get that in there. He did get that in there. We'll, we will get to that. <laughs> I, al- I, I almost, whilst I am praising this movie in its it, its entirety, I, I, I'm kind of thinking up until where the end credits should be. <laughs> yeah. All of the all of the that from from the uh, Lex Luthor on a boat onwards uh, mm. feels like a different a different movie to me. But that does feel we'll like talk, he's we'll just like that. I shot all this stuff. I need to put it all in. Like the fans have been banging on about it for four years because um, <laughs> like, it's got a bit of a like Lord of the Rings Return of the King sort of bumpy landing, I think, in the last 30 <laughs> minutes. Hey, listen, I will not hear a bad word against any one of the 12 endings of Return of the King. <laughs> I love them all equally. I, um, I, I, I think this I is him like, equally. it sort of like feels like he's clearing his plate when he gets to the end of the movies. I... I I should, probably should tidy these things away, but I'll, I'll just put them all in, um, and they'll sort it out. <laughs> feels feels to me like a play for a. Mm. You might let me make the sequel at some point. <laughs> Thirty minutes of let's asking the... for a sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's leave this in here just in case. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I just basically I think that this this movie turning up now. Is the perfect is the perfect time the perfect scenario for it to have something so shit to be able to compare yourself against <laughs> is just a is just a dream for any director. Like, I don't think this is a masterpiece. I think it's a good solid movie that still has a, you know, for for all of the stuff that I think that works about it tonally, about it cinematically, I think it's still got a shit villain who looks shit. Um, I think the mother bosses are dumb. <laughs> Um, and the the plot is fairly basic, and the Superman stuff in the middle I don't think works. Um, 
but there's there's because there's so much in there there is also so much stuff that does work i think i think the thing for me about it is even even when there are story choices i don't like i go well at least all this at least all this is the product of one mind. Like, it's all one person mm. who has said, this is the story I want to tell, and then it's well executed. So even, like you say, when when bits don't work, I'm still, I'm still kind of like, well, that's what he wanted. So just on that level, it feels more creatively authentic than the previous Justice League film. Um, don't want to do... Uh, this... It's not a great time to say, just give me a second to defend Joss Whedon. (laughs) Um, We're not defending his personal conduct. No. Um, I think in terms of the job that Whedon was asked to do on this movie, you you can absolutely see, right, why a studio wouldn't want to release a version of this after Batman v Superman had, like... Batman v Superman had like one of the biggest second weekend drops in mm-hmm. cinema history when when that film came out. Yeah, which is indicative of an audience not taking to a film or word of mouth being so poor that just people, you know, it's not just that repeat repeat viewings aren't happening. People are coming out of it <laughs> and telling negative, their friends, ne- "Don't go and yeah, see ne- it." Yeah, negative mm-hmm. enough that other people aren't going to see it. You can see why Warner Brothers didn't want to release maybe a two, two and a half hour version of this. Yeah, and why they might have said um, to Joss Whedon, can you do something a bit more like Avengers? Yeah. Because that's and that's I, clearly what he did, and I don't think that was Joss Whedon going like, well, the way to fix this movie is to make it funnier. It's the studio going, we want a funnier movie, get the funny guy to do it. Can you, can you add in some jokes? Can you, like like I said, the Save the Cat stuff, can you can you make the feel like that there's a little a little bit of real world threat because you basically don't see real people in the side <laughs> yeah right <laughs> even even the supporting characters that turn up are like they're significant dc characters um that there, there aren't there aren't real world effects for these people so i can and i can kind of see them going like that seems too depressing can we add in a version that's a bit more upbeat can we get rid of that stuff and you know, I think there. Are, I, I think there's some really clunky, bad stuff in Justice League that that you know mostly doesn't work because it's it's so tonally off with the Snyder stuff that remains and mm-hmm. the core story that it's trying to tell. Um, it's sort of like there compromised is, you know, beyond belief, isn't it? As well, like they, you can see from watching this and the original Justice League in you know closely together. Like, okay, well he's he's got this big set piece that he's been told to add some jokes to and he's trying to work out like how to sand the edges off and just shoot a close-up because they can't afford to restage the whole set piece uh and you can sort of see a little bit about sort of how how it's all made which is it's kind of fun um there but then i think we also know from the joss whedon times that even what he was shooting and writing the studio was still kind of mangling like that opening the terrible opening batman scene where he's chasing like a robber <laughs> in a stripy top with yeah. a like a, a sack over his shoulder that says loot on um that was supposed to be a comedy scene and, and it's the way it's presented is not as a comedy scene apparently a lot of the gags 
um the actor playing the 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 sort of burglar has said like you know that scene was totally different when we shot it um that's Holt McElhenney I think yeah 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 <laughs> yeah um I think there's a story that when the film wrapped Joss Whedon sent him a bottle of champagne it just said like sorry um because all of his like gags were basically cut out or whatever um so like there's it's like you know it's, it's this toxic production which is at war with itself um so i think even the people they brought in to fix it it was then mangled again uh sort of out of shape of what they thought they were doing at the time and you can kind of understand why some of those changes and scenes were asked for like you know the idea of introducing the idea that the parademons and that you know that because they've they've got you know it has a different opening the mm. original justice league it has that <laughs> superman like you know I, and it's actually it's bad because of the mustache but actually i don't hate the opening to the original justice league because you see superman smiling and you go oh yeah i i can it's nice to be reminded of why that guy is a symbol of hope in this universe and a symbol of we would risk anything to bring this guy back um but you, and you, so you can kind of see why that would go in. You can see why the idea of if you have to cut the original opening and the stuff that was cut from Batman v Superman that ends up in the ultimate cut, cut um, about Steppenwolf already communing with Lex Luthor. Mm. You, you kind of need to early on bed in the idea that, yeah, these guys are kind of already here. It's already begun. We're at the fight. We're joining the fight a couple of weeks in almost at the start. I do, I do think just... having a parademon explode and like spray mother box graffiti over the wall. Yeah. It's a masterpiece of exposition. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely oh incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but equally there are moments in the, in this Whedon cut of justice league, um, which our, um, past and future guest Caroline Cedar was tweeting about saying that she had there, there was three character scenes that she really loved in the 2017 version uh the first one I, I massively agree with which is at the start of the like first action sequence where the the, the league sans Superman are together where they where they take on Steppenwolf for the first time um and Bruce has that little thing with Barry about saying just save one person just go in and save one guy mm-hmm is I, I mean, it's a really nice moment in that film where you've got a, a guy who has said, you know, yeah, I've not done this superhero stuff, and I and suddenly I'm facing Steppenwolf, which you know isn't isn't something that Snyder really contends with. It's just Barry's along for the fight now, and that scene and is we pretty go. weird in the Snyder cut. Actually, the um, when they're rescuing the hostages, Cyborg's basically rescuing them, and Barry has nothing to do. <laughs> He's just <laughs> like walking really fastly next to And I guess if you know, if I was, if you're presented this film and like you know you need to come in and try and fix things the note on that scene is flash has nothing to do i need to come in and give him something to do which they do do in in the whedon cut Mm. yeah i I think that really works uh there was a scene in the in that i'm just reading from caroline's tweet uh where barry and victor discuss being the accidents which again i think is a a nice scene in justice league which Mm -hmm. Is is you know given it's not here is pretty clearly a Whedon scene, and then the the like retconny exposition scene about Diana purposely fighting from the shadows, that that you know tries to explain why this character hasn't been um, yeah it tries to emotionally explain why she hasn't been fighting, um, and there's a, and there's a bit more there's a bit more tension there in the in the Whedon cut between Batman and um, 
and Wonder Woman. Whereas in this cut, it's just like, oh, we're all best friends now, aren't we? Uh, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, we made friends at the end of the last movie. And now we are, you know, we just carry on with that dynamic. Because I do think it's interesting that I think I think Whedon does a good jo- sorry Snyder does a good job in this cut with character arts writ large. I'm still not sure at the end of this four hour movie that I really got the sense of them as a team, or do I really know what Barry thinks about Bruce, or do I really know what Arthur thinks about Diana? Like I'm not sure. <laughs> the, my know, um my favorite scene one of my favorite scenes from the weed cut actually was um when aquaman's accidentally sitting on the lasso of truth huh. <laughs> and I, I was disappointed that didn't turn up like obviously it was a weed scene but yeah that was that was a funny moment um it's interesting that you're you say that though because one of the things i thought about um this version of justice league is how they do feel it feels more like a team of soldiers, which is a bit more DC Universe. Um, it just feels like they've all got a common goal, and they take a lot of convincing that they have that common goal. But once they have it, they're just like, okay, everyone in line behind Batman, he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. Whereas in the Whedon version, there's a lot of bickering, I think. Even at the time, we criticised the Wonder Woman portrayal as being a bit like the, oh, you know, the I'm the mother to all these stupid kids. Yeah. Um I actually like that they lost all that stuff and that they just approached it as like, well, we've got this common threat. There's no point anyone pushing against anyone else. You know, we're going to have a couple of discussions, but broadly speaking, we're on the same page because we don't want the earth to get destroyed. We live on the earth. So I sort of, I actually sort of like that. Yeah. It feels like they've got this, they're like united in this purpose and like, there's no real need for them to hang out again unless, you know, a bigger villain comes along um, <laughs> there. I know at the end there is that sort of like build a, the Justice Hall uh, sort of scene, but like it just feels like they only need to come together when the Earth is in dire straits. Um, and the whole film has this like oppressive, like end of days quality about it, which mm-hmm. again, I, I, I think sort of works for this grand operatic sort of vision to like fulfill that for the audience. But I, I totally agree I'm, with you, James. Like they're at their best when they're talking about what to do for work. Like the small talk mm-hmm. must be pretty painful between these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and God help me, I also kind of think that the that the semi regular flashes to this even darker future really do contribute to that apocalyptic feel. Um, mm. I don't care about Dark Side. Right, um, <laughs> I, sp- I I especially realised I didn't care about him when I thought his assistant was him. Was him? Yeah. He's <laughs> got a very similar name to Darkseid as well. Yeah, I think he's called Desard. <laughs> is that is that a good? And and it was like Steppenwolf in all his CGI glory, which it still boggles my mind that that's Kieran Hines, but I guess it is. But um, <laughs> he's got a, more of an he, Irish he... lilt in this, I think, in the. Uh, the, the the Whedon version they did more work on his voice and like there's still yeah. a lot of processing on that voice but I, I it could just be that he's got more lines in this but I I sort of felt like you know he's a basic character but I knew exactly what his motivation was I could hear a bit of Kieran Hines in the voice he's spiky he's bad I get it his <laughs> his head looks like a hammer he's a bad guy gotcha I liked I liked how difficult it was for him to actually talk he was like he was so jacked up that he couldn't speak properly. <laughs> Like, he had this weird lisp. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's exactly what I thought was happening when he was talking to this, because he was like, oh, oh Desaad. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to pronounce Darkseid. Um, <laughs> that's, and then and then, and then, it, and then he steps back and actual Darkseid turns up. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I was a little... I was a little bit confused by what dark side like I get I I got the you know I got the he's super powerful and he's gonna you know he can be a he, he's one of he's the most terrifying threat in the universe he is the Thanos that, of the DC universe yeah I got I got that that's what they were telling me I'm not really sure I got why um and just I, I, you know, it was it was it was clear how it was very clear how that stuff had been cut out and replaced in the in the Snyder cut where in the Whedon cut where Whedon had just basically gone. Yeah, he's not reporting into anyone. He is the guy that came down to Earth a generation ago. We'll put this CG character on top of this other CG character, and we're not going to talk about any wider stuff with an afterlife equation or anything like that. Let's just cut all of that nonsense out. We're not teasing another movie. We're just getting this one right. And we're just going to get the stakes right in this story. Um, But so someone explain this to me. There is an afterlife equation. Anti-life equation. Anti-life. Anti-life. Sorry. There's an anti-life equation that's written into the earth's crust. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, is that written in because Darkseid put it there when he attacked in the first place? Or is it just happenstance that it's on our planet? Uh, good question. I... And was, was it there when he attacked the first time and then... And, yeah, and, it's, and always, why... it's always been on Earth. And um, why does he not seem to remember that... Well, like, he, if the mob... he didn't know it was there. No, but why does, why does he not even, like... Steppenwolf says something about like this being the this being the planet that that fought back and stopped you and like I fa- now I found that planet as if that they didn't know that that was where they were coming when the mother boxes are there so surely it has unless are there mother boxes on every planet well yeah so my my feeling was that they were using the mother boxes to try and find Earth because like his dark side's goal was to conquer every planet. And as part of that, he was trying to... He was doing that to try and find the anti-life equation. Right. I think. Again, I, I feel like I inferred a lot of that from the story rather than it actually being in the story. But, you yeah, know, he, he talks film, about... Just... <laughs> yeah, go on, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. In, in the film, they just say the name of, like... There, there's no, exp- there's no like... Back, if it, you know, if you were to compare this with a similar epic like the Lord of the Rings, they tell you why the ring is bad, <laughs> and and you know the power, <laughs> the threat that the ring has. In this, they just sort of throw away mention the anti-life equation, and they just keep saying the word enough to make you think it's important. But there's no like, you know, millions of years ago, the in the age of men, they forged the anti-life equation, and it's bad because yeah. of this. Yeah, um, right. Really could have <laughs> done with something like that. Uh, for and it, I, so I just inferred it was like in that flashback scene. Yeah, there's yeah. So there's so much exposition in the film generally. Like the number of times it pauses so that someone can have a sort of 15 minute flashback, <laughs> where you're like, like, you're really embellishing this this exposition here. Because if I if I am to buy in right and say say that they announce that Zack Snyder is going to get to make Justice League Part Two, which I'm not ruling out, <laughs> <laughs> um, but say that happens, 
in this movie, we've got Steppenwolf who's coming to Earth and he's going to completely terraform and take over Earth using the mother boxes um, and, and you know, wipe out all life on this planet and turn everyone into parademons. That's the, that's the stakes in this movie. And what this movie sets up as the stakes for a future movie is a scarier version of Steppenwolf is going to come to Earth and use a different thing that's not the mother boxes. It's an equation and... It's gonna take over all life on Earth, and everyone's gonna turn into parademons. Am I wrong? What's what's the what's the escalation there? Just that he's got a scarier face. I think the point of the anti-life equation, right, is that it gives you the ability to control, like, all life. Like the reason it's called the anti-life equation is because if if someone uses it, they can control uh, everyone, and you know the. Uh, the way it's approached is like if someone has that level of mastery over you, you're not really alive, and that's why it's called the anti-life equation. So is that is is Superman in the flash forwardy sequences being controlled by the afterlife equation? The anti anti-life equation. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> please respect. Please respect Jan Kirby's original. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the implication in in the flash forwards isn't that superman is being controlled by the anti-life equation it's just that he's gone bad yeah it would make more sense if he was but yeah. i don't i think at least in snyder's mind he's just gone evil because superman has the potential to go evil because you, lois is dead you yeah. see him like cradling a skeleton which is quite a morbid uh, <laughs> image when you say it out loud cradling a skeleton at one point and then the dark side puts his hand on his shoulder <laughs> um yeah i assume that was lois the skeleton rather than like Alfred's, uh, but you never know. Yeah. They seem to get on quite well in the film, Alfred and Superman. <laughs> what we've what we've ended up with in terms of this, because I, I, you know, I rewatched Batman v Superman, and in that scene, the Flash turns up and says, "You were right about him. Lois is the key." And so at that point in the movie, you think, "Well, Batman being right about Superman means that he did need taking out." But actually, the Flash goes, "Oh no, no, I'm here too early." So if you say too early, every every subsequent ver- Batman's the guy who is the driving force behind bringing Superman back. He's like, no, 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 we need him. Yeah, and then <laughs> Lois is the key. If Lois is the key, presumably that means that Lois needs to not die for all of this stuff to happen. Um. Yeah, and it and it's it's. And then in this movie, I mean, should we should we just talk about all of the flash forwardy stuff that we get throughout the film? Should we litigate all of that now? Sure, why not? <laughs> so there's the. Am I right in thinking is the first one, the first one where Cyborg has the vision of the future, which is there is like. Um, just before There's they a... resurrect Superman and and he yeah yeah you... he sees he sees a, a dead Diana on a funeral pyre he sees Aquaman being killed with his own trident by Darkseid <laughs> and then yeah Superman holding that charred corpse which I think we've got to assume is Lois Lois There's or another Alfred de- either way <laughs> <There's>... he's upset <laughs> 
there's another dead Green Lantern in that sequence as well, I noticed. Yeah, um, they really love... I don't know if those Green Lanterns are sort of, like, recognisable characters to people in the know, but I did sort of like how they were... It's like, yeah, toss another one in. Future scene, another dead Green Lantern. <laughs> well, you know, he, he wanted Jon Stewart to be in this film, didn't he? And they, uh, the studio were like, you, can't, you cannot have Jon Stewart. So that's how Martian Manhunter ended up in there. Oh. Right, okay. Yeah, Marshall Manhunter. We'll get to him. Um, <laughs> and 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 then there's the. I'm not sure if it counts. There's the there's the scene where obviously Flash rewinds time and we see like existence being taken out. But I think that's that's a different dark future. That's the dark future where everyone just dies here straight away. Yeah. Um, rather than rather than the, rather than the Justice League Part Two stuff. And then we get the the post credit scene, which is um, Aquaman and Wonder Woman are dead. Uh, Batman has brought the Joker, Mira, Flash, Cyborg, and Deathstroke to some kind of final battle, and they have a little bit of a a chat with the Joker. And then Superman Superman turns up with his red eyes again, um, and it and it seems like he is like yeah that he's basically working as a like dark servant of Darkseid. Um, I hated all of this stuff. I thought it was such bullshit, and I wish it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel stupid to like to trail a film that isn't ever going to happen. Um, well, did d- you see? I, did again, you see him say that? His argument to the studio was, "This is how comic book movies are. You want to, you want to tease the next thing. You want to imply a future story, even if you haven't got it." Um, which I think is maybe misunderstanding the the point of this stuff in the genre. Like these, <laughs> these stuff are put in films in the good faith that they will be addressed. Yes. Like those those Marvel post credit scenes aren't there to tease stuff that might happen. <laughs> I don't believe Zack Snyder. I think he still wants to make that film. Oh, absolutely. He still wants to. Like, I don't think he ever will. I mean, part of me would like to see that story, even if it's a comic adaptation or something. Like, I think DC would be nuts not to, not to go to him and just be like, just give us the outline and we'll we'll make a huge graphic novel out of it. But realistically speaking, I don't think we're ever going to see that as a as a live action movie. The Superman of it all feels messy, that he dies, gets brought back, and threatens to be evil until he sees Lois, and then (laughs) isn't evil anymore, and goes back to being just good old Clark that we knew the whole way through. He joins this fight, he wins, great, we're all happy, the end. Oh, but also in the future, he is going to turn evil like we thought he was going to do in this movie, (laughs) because Lois died, and he's going to be working for the villain. Which again feels like one of those just. Do you know? That's not Superman. Yeah. Do you like... know who Superman is? Right. <laughs> this is this is the thing. Like the thing that Zack Snyder consistently gets wrong, is he doesn't understand the idea of someone who could just be always good. He's just like, no, he must he must be evil on some level. And it's always like, no. Conflicted. The whole point about Superman is that he doesn't he doesn't have that darkness. Do you? I think though, if this if this was a two part story, this would have been you know that Snyder was that Snyder knew he was making to begin with. It probably would have been Superman came back and was 
dark Superman and uh, and and doesn't have the moment where he turns back to himself and instead kind of you know is taken off the board temporarily or flies off somewhere whilst the rest of the Justice League stops Steppenwolf and then part two would be hey Darkseid is coming and there's still a bad Superman out there and we need to get you know we yeah need and to Lois get is the key yeah and mm. Lois is the key we need to, we need to get through to Clark if if we're going to be able to stop Darkseid. Um, whereas what's left here is just, it's just really messy. And what it, what it implies about Superman is just, I don't like it. And I don't, I, I didn't like watching that version of Batman with Jared Leto either. I definitely didn't like watching Jared Leto. <laughs> and it just, it just, it felt like a return to what I was talking about, about Snyder's, dark cynical deconstruction of superheroes that he's done prior to this and batman saying fucking like come mm. on is that really because, what we ju- want just be- just because he can um and and you know mirrored seemed you know like a, a dark twisted version of herself and... <laughs> how could you tell it's a weird yeah like a weird team up at the end isn't it i did like the joker calling her flounder and does he say fish finger <laughs> as well at one point yeah yeah <laughs> Um, it, that dialogue scene with the Joker and and Batman, like it doesn't add anything at all, and it was obviously like used in all the publicity um, that Jared Leto was back reprising this role. But their dialogue is just oh. like, let's name drop loads of other characters that aren't in this film. Remember Robin? Yeah, Harley... Remember Harley Quinn? Um... Well, they're both dead. <laughs> so hope you liked them, but they're dead now. <laughs> I just wanted them to have like a list of characters and Two Face is dead and Frock is dead. Uh, Alfred's gone, obviously. We've seen his charred corpse already. Um, just to like go through all of Batman and, and the Joker's you know, acquaintances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, it, <laughs> I think you could have sold me on at the end of this movie, you know, kind of when we, before the Lex Luthor scene in Deathstroke, which was obviously there as a post-credit scene in the original Justice League. And mm. I, don't, I didn't, I mean, I don't, I don't like Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor for a start. He's so, really so bad, bad, isn't he? Yeah. So bad. Um, and Joe Manginello just looks weird with the dyed hair. Like he doesn't, <laughs> He's not. He's he's not that old. He shouldn't. He shouldn't have all of the white hair. It's, <laughs> it's hard to feel sorry for you know actors in a film like this because they're all being paid very well. But I do feel quite sorry for him, especially just because like he's he's uh, he was teased you know in, at the end of the original film. It was going to have a spin off. I was going to be involved in the Batman film that never happened. And then to get the mm. call from Snyder to come back for the Snyder cut to shoot new footage, you're like, oh, cool. I'm going to get a character this time. And it's no, you're going to be in two post credit stings. <laughs> yeah. Just and, and in the second one, you're just going to stand and watch while the other people argue. It doesn't make any. I mean, that's really weird, isn't it? Like having the t- those two scenes so close together, like one scene we're going to plan to take them down the next scene you're going to be on a task force with batman fighting side by side like it's yeah, yeah really i mean and i that, guess that, that was that was sort of the point right was to show like oh this is how badly thing to go off the rails like this guy who just committed to killing batman is now hanging out with him and you're like yeah but there's no story here like i'm not excited to see that reality um we should talk about, and we've mentioned him already, the Martian Manhunter uh, shows up at the end of that scene, which is oh revealed to be another, another oh Bruce dream premonition. Um, 
So this is it's Harry Dean Lennox. Is that the actor's name? Yes. Or am I confusing him with Harry Dean Stanton? I don't know, he's Lennox. Harry Lennox, Lennox. Yes. Yeah. Harry Lennox. Um, he was in Man of Steel and was in Batman v Superman a little bit as well. And um, you know, it kind of, kind of makes sense that he's the Martian Manhunter. I guess like that's that's fine. I don't really have any problem with it. Um, this really felt like stuff though that was added in when Snyder was doing the new footage for this version. Um, I kind of thought he looked crap. He didn't add anything. And just because you've put him in there doesn't mean you united the seven because he was never, unless are they the seven in the post credit scene? How many are there? (laughs) 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 What did you guys think of Martian Manhunter? Uh, I don't know the character very much at all, but I did wonder, like, I don't know what the chatter was sort of with the fans at the time of like Man of Steel and BVS. Like, was there any hint or like fan discussion that this no. guy was going to have a bigger role or was going to turn out to be Martian Manhunter? No, this has come out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I just wondered if I'd miss something. In it, but um... it's been, I think it's been <laughs> speculated about since, since Snyder has been teasing this cut. Right. Um, I, so it wasn't it wasn't completely out of the blue, and it it's not too dissimilar from the version of Martian Manhunter that they revealed on Supergirl. As no, well. yeah, that's that's the vibe I got from it. Was like, oh, okay, you're just you're doing the big screen version of that character. Yeah, um, and you know he's a he's a kind of fundamental Justice League character, right, on the page, and it it. it it doesn't not make sense for him to be in these movies, um, but have we have we all seen the meme on Twitter? It's it's kind of become a meme on Twitter of the the two Martha and Lois scenes side by side. Yeah, yeah. In the Snyder cut and in the Whedon cut, mm-hmm. and how in the the Whedon cut and it, it to be fair, it's true. It starts off with. The really bad, like footage, news footage of a woman saying that her husband has been probed by an alien mm-hmm. that yeah. isn't isn't <laughs> funny and doesn't add anything to the movie. And then we see Lois and Martha chatting in um, a bright Daily Planet office that really does look like it's been lit, you know, for a for a early two thousands Catherine Heigl rom com. Um, and uh, and then the two of them are chatting and, you, you know, the, the Snyder version is this really, like, two women who are grieving, whose lives are falling apart. Well, you're not falling apart, but that are struggling to maintain their lives from before in the wake of Clark's death. And I think it's a really good scene in the Snyder cut and I think it's a really bad scene in the Whedon cut mm. where there's the, there's the thirsty, hungry joke in there as well that oh god i'd forgotten about that makes makes you want to eat your own fist (laughs) um and and then you're like yeah yeah but shall we shall we also talk about what directly follows that sequence (laughs) in the snyder cut because what directly follows that sequence after that really heartfelt discussion is martha walking outside of lois's apartment and transforming into the martha shin manhunter (laughs) yeah because and and why would you, why would Snyder undercut his really good scene that's come before like that to go ah I fooled you it's not that character you you are emotionally invested in and really palpably felt her grief in the last sequence 
it's this alien that you've never seen before. And we're not going to explain who he is yet. <laughs> it's just, if you know, you know. When I when I first watched the film, I was watching it on my own and I just sort of took it sort of in my stride like, yeah, sure, <laughs> why not? Um, yeah, the film is indulgent and this is, this is it. But I watched it a second time with my wife and when that scene happened, she was just like, what? Who's that? <laughs> and like, yeah, that's actually the, the proper response that someone who's only yeah, watching yeah. these films and yeah. has no knowledge of the character should have done. And um, yeah, I just sort of love the idea of, you know, f- hundreds and thousands of people watching this film who are just watching <laughs> Gary, the Snyder films. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And like, you know, then having conversations afterwards, like, has he always been Martha? Like, when, yeah. when when does that character step in? You know, like was he married to Kevin Costner? Uh, like, how far back <laughs> does this go? I'm assuming that Martha is still Martha in in this movie in these movies. Yeah, it's just it's that just, one scene. Of it's just that one Martian Manhunter trying to get information about Superman, presumably. Yeah, but I don't you know. know. It's weird. Like for me, and it's. It's also, it's such a, like, when you think about, like, the in-movie implications, it's such a gross kind of, like, invasion. Right, yeah. Lois's emotional well-being. Like, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing to do to someone. Well, that, again, that's the kind of... a trusted person and it's <laughs> yeah. a weird green alien. <laughs> that is the kind of carelessness of Zack Snyder as a filmmaker in that he, you know, forgets that empathy for these characters exists and that there's a sort of a respectful tone that you should hit especially in a scene of that nature instead he's going like that'd be really cool actually if Marshall Manhunt was in this film there's a similar problem for me in the uh in the Iris West scene which is uh yeah it was was like she was announced right Mm -hmm. that um that she was going to be in the in Justice League and then was cut from it Mm -hmm. um and that sequence is... I struggle with Ezra Miller's Flash, right? Uh, I, I struggled with him in the previous version. I, I, of all the characters, I think his moment in the final action sequence is great. Um, but I struggle with that character. I struggle with Ezra Miller because we never really got to the bottom of him strangling that girl on camera. Yeah. The, we, <laughs> we should... I, I think maybe... It, it feels to me like maybe there was a wave of celebrity cancellations that didn't get the um, didn't get the press attention they would have done in other times at the start of the pandemic. Mm. Like Ansel, Ansel Elgort's stuff seems to have just not been mentioned for a while either. Um, so yeah, that was yeah, that's definitely something that uh, that hung over Justice League a little bit for me. Um, that, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't just an accusation against Ezra Miller. We saw him do it on camera. Yeah, um, really grim. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't love that character. In it, I think he's for me the least successful of these superheroes. Um, and and that scene with Iris, Kirsty Clemens as Iris in that sequence. Um, I just thought it it felt gross. The the pushing her hair away before he saved her and staring longingly into her eyes. And I, I don't know whether it maybe hit differently after the, you know, the 
the news cycle that we've had in this country over the last couple of weeks about the way that men treat women on the streets um and and the fact that it was Ezra Miller but uh, it, it just it just it it played really gross to me and the fact that it's in there with all of the comedy flying CGI sesame seeds and hot dogs <laughs> it's a really strange sequence i thought it's and that's awesome. the and that's the that's the introduction to that character like an an hour and 10 minutes into this movie <laughs> we don't meet him until like 70 minutes in it's crazy it's a really weird scene and it's like the most indulgent of the slow-mo flash scenes mm. yeah slow-mo hot dogs uh, flying around we, we see i mean there is that like weird freeze frame that people have done of like him with all the hot dogs in the slow-mo um it's so weird. But I, I do think it's followed by a really good scene with him. I think the scene with uh, Dr. Manhattan is is uh, <laughs> right after the Billy Crudup uh, plays his dad who's in prison and, and he goes to visit him. Um, and I think that scene, considering Billy Crudup has two very short scenes in this film, um, those scenes together are really, really good, mm-hmm. really like heartfelt and touching. And that's like what they, the this is this that is, Snyder can bring to something like this. This is what I meant about how it feels like an assembly cut. Because anyone watching that movie, you would go like, well, actually, if we're going to introduce Flash, let's introduce him talking to his dad in this nice scene instead of this bizarre, like, hot dog CGI sequence where he's talking about becoming a dog walker. Like, it just, it's not necessary. It's a really long scene considering how little it adds to the character in the film. Um... A couple of things. I, I I want to pivot back to some of the stuff that I think the movie does more successfully because I do I do think there's a lot of stuff that it does so much more successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've seen people criticizing is the is the way that Wonder Woman is introduced murdering a terrorist. <laughs> now that that scene kind of plays out exactly the same as it does in the Whedon cut, except in the Whedon cut, it you know it could have been that he was just knocked out. Yeah, she blows him up a lot more in this one. There's yeah. a lot of um, um she moves really fast in this film which I don't think we've seen her do in any of the other <laughs> appearances of her like the, the, in the Whedon cut which I thought when I watched the Whedon cut all of that stuff was Whedon because I didn't think it was very good. Um in this I think it is a bit better uh but still still not great but you see a lot of her like moving almost as fast as the Flash which she doesn't do for the rest of the film really like this. Um, and oh yeah, it, she has the, she has the bullet blocking sequence. Like she blocks every yeah. bullet from a machine gun shooting the children, yeah. and it I don't know, it just looks it looks like you could play Benny Hill music over that and have quite a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think Snyder shoots the Wonder Woman action as uh, uh, you know. I actually think this is true for you know definitely for Aquaman as well, where all of those Aquaman scenes play out like they're the final act of Thunderball with just really really <laughs> slow underwater action. <laughs> Um, it's not particularly compelling um, and I think you know, Patty Jenkins just like when you compare that to Wonder Woman blocking the bullets on in No Man's Land in the first Wonder Woman uh, th- there isn't much comparison um, and, and I do think Snyder does shoot her a bit more no, not a bit more a lot more leerily than and, and the Amazons in general a bit more leerily than Patty Jenkins ever does I was very um, distracted by Wonder Woman's outfits in this movie because like there's that one where she goes to meet the when she goes to meet Fla- uh, Cyborg she goes to meet Cyborg and she's wearing something that's got like a really deep V with like no underwear on under it and you're just like is this is this a practical outfit for the situation it's a very strange yeah. choices hmm I got uh, yeah, so the, I, I... The, the, just on the costumes in this film, like because they they they're going 
constantly from civilian costumes to their superhero costumes <laughs> and there's even a scene where i think wonder woman says okay we'll get changed and then we'll go and do the superhero thing and like i don't know it just it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing to sort of keep having to do <laughs> there's also there's also the scene where um arthur leaves his uh, jumper behind to be snipped oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> whilst whilst the uh I mean, the absolute banger of an Icelandic folk song. Oh, God. <laughs> I really enjoyed that um, scene. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I kind of did as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I didn't have a problem with Wonder Woman murdering the terrorist. Like, it felt of, like, if a villain was going to be killed, that one deserved it. She kills um, you know, someone, soldiers also, if someone in was gonna kill, World War One. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Like, if there are some characters who you think, yeah, they would definitely kill that person and think nothing of it, because, like... She her her heroic tradition is an older, more mythic one where the value of life and death was, you know, considered a lot differently in in antiquity, and in myth. Mm. So yeah, if if a superhero is going to kill someone, I have no problem with Wonder Woman doing it. Um, and if so, and if if someone's got to die, that guy deserved it. Yeah. It did just make me laugh afterwards, where the little girl says, "Can I? Yeah, you can I be up? like you?" And she's like, I, I just wanted to turn around and go, not only could you not be like me, even if you were an Amazon, you couldn't be like me, because I'm like a cut above them yeah. as well. And also, you, uh... you probably shouldn't be like me, because I just yes. killed that guy. <laughs> I'm made of clay and my boyfriend's been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, I've got, don't, trust me, kid, I've got tons going on. Yeah. I'd rather not. <laughs> But I do think that's that's another one of those moments that that kind of that is the Snyder that I want to see more. You know that, <laughs> that like that leaning into the sentimentality because I think where where he gets it so right is with Cyborg, who in mm. the in, I, I'm not I'm not blown away by Ray Fisher's performance. But I don't think he has a, a huge amount to do. I think he's you know I think he's fine in this. Whereas in the first movie, he just came off as super boring because he just had to glower at everything or walk around moodily in this he gets a really you know he gets a really robust character arc and i don't think he is the heart that keeps the team together but i think of the you know as a character who was introduced to this movie again really only an hour in I say that, he does then get to spend, yes, the next three hours of the movie on screen, so he still gets some decent screen time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's... I, I think all of the stuff with Cyborg is is successful. The stuff with his dad um, and his emotional journey from the guy that we meet at the start of the movie. I think the the stuff where he faces off against the, the you know, the mother box almost is is really sweet at the end. What's he say? I'm... I'm um, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. That's that's great superhero storytelling. Yeah, although it does come shortly after a scene where he convinces the entire Justice League to let him go on a suicide mission in there or like, ah, fair enough. Fair enough. It, if it's what he wants. I was just like, are you guys the good guys or what? Like, well, it's, come it's on. It's a soldiery thing, I think you were saying. Like, they, they all have their job and his job at that point, he feels like, is he's got nothing to live for and he's the one who can fix this. Um, yeah, fair. They're like, he, go like, on, you, you jump on that pulp. grenade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's volunteering, so they'll let him go for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, it is weird when he says he's got a family now. It's like, nah, you've got some people who you vaguely know who are willing to let you die. <laughs> <laughs> he's been watching Suicide Squad. 
<laughs> but I like, we're I a family did... now, aren't we? Are we not? Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. Am I giving this too much credit, though? That I did, I did feel like that that was a guy who had over the course of the movie mm. understand that he that he did still have a purpose. I thought the stuff at the start with the um, with the single mum waitress was sweet. Uh, that that you you saw this character because he's introduced right and and we we don't get any of this in the Whedon cut. He's introduced as this guy who was basically he was he was you know captain of the football team. He was the smartest guy in school. He was popular, but not only that, he was nice. He looked after his fellow students. He was <laughs> trying to you know he's basically like just this this golden god of high school that is flawless in every single way that's going to go on to be whatever kind of success that he wants to be and then all of that is ripped away from him he has everything other than the dad in his life and the accident brings his dad back in his life in a way in which he he you know didn't didn't want Um, he would prefer not he's he's yet another dc hero dealing with daddy issues in in the snyderverse uh, but it works. Yeah. I totally agree with you, Joe. I think he's. Um, I yeah. think he's. He's. He benefits hugely from this re-edit, and his story is really compelling. And he's not the team member that that is the glue of the team. But I do think his story is probably the most complete arc um, in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, because he is solely introduced in this film and kind of lives and dies by this movie, whereas the other characters, mm-hmm. a lot of them, have got you know waiting in other solo projects. And I and I think when you you know when you kind of are able to take a step back and look at this this you know this these characters in a movie that is competent i go do you know what i think i i like ben affleck in this i think he's a great bruce wayne i love chonky batman i love (laughs) I, i love just how he lumbers through everything um i i you know i think gal gadot has been pretty but you know some dodgy line readings aside pretty much perfect as that character um yeah as i say ray fish is great i think when the the version of superman that we get in this movie uh that we still get that brilliant moment in the evil superman sequence where he sees the flash running past him (laughs) and he turns and looks yeah yeah that was great in the whedon cut and obviously Mm -hmm. it was a snyder snyder scene that he retained um and the version of Superman that turns up towards the end of this movie, who has stood in a field in Kansas, hugging his his uh, fiance and mum, and then flying to try and help his friends out at the last minute, and just doing some good old fashioned Superman heroism. That's a good version of Superman. That's the best version of mm-hmm. Superman that Snyder has done in the in the final half hour of this movie. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I don't love the Flash, but then, as I said, in the in the final sequence, once the Flash is dialed down, and I do, I, I think there's a route into that character, um, where you know the the whole shtick is supposed to be that he's he's not comfortable around people. He doesn't he doesn't know how to talk to people, how to deal with them, and now he does have these people that he's been through this experience with. That maybe there is a you know a slightly less wired version of of Barry Allen in the DCEU that you can explore. Um, I think he's, I, I, I love that heroic moment at the end. Um, felt like, did, did, did it feel to you guys like it was a homage to the original Superman? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, it didn't come to mind immediately. Um, it was, um, it felt a bit, 
like this is a four-hour film which I, I kind of like a lot of the indulgences, but that particular scene does feel like a lot of filler. Like, just run around in a circle a lot uh, whilst we do a lot of other stuff. Um, and then there's, like, scenes of him basically running in circles waiting to have his moment. Um, it doesn't feel like the smartest use of the, the character's time uh, there. I just... Yeah, that, that was my main yeah, thought. Just, like, this doesn't feel hugely efficient in a film which is already running a bit long, lads. Yeah. I, <laughs> my thing was just, like... If you again, I didn't. I didn't think about Superman at all. But I did think if you're gonna set up a character who can make a mistake of that magnitude and then just reverse time like it never happened, you're undermining the stakes of the movie. Hmm. Like, how many goes is I, it going to get to get this right? I've come round on it, especially especially after having gone through that experience with the TV version of the Flash, and they basically <laughs> go, "Yeah, you you will." you will now experience the consequences of that thing that you did. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that that's what the movies would do as well. Well, um, I did notice they were setting up a lot of things that, that maybe felt like they would feed into a flashpoint movie. So like you had that whole thing of his dad saying to him, like, you know, you can make your own future. And then later he literally does that. And, you know, maybe that's the, the wrong lesson to learn, which is like, if you make a mistake, you can go back and, fix it fix it using time travel and that does feel like the sort of thing that a flashpoint movie would have built on and gone here's what happens if you try to fix everything using time travel yeah because i mean spoilers for the flash tv show in that show he makes the decision to go back and save his Mm mum um and and then yeah creates creates a flashpoint world basically and then af- af- after that, finds out also that the, s- the speed force is mad at him for having abused it, and <laughs> yeah, various consequences arrive upon his door. I did it's like good. I did um, like the speed force turning up in this movie. Yeah, he just he just kind of says that's what I've called it, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah, all of um, his um, I... like origin stuff, you just have to rely on him telling you. Whereas you see cyborgs, and we've seen the other characters either in these films or in in the sort of standalone films um so again like if you come to this just through watching the films you just sort of have to take for granted this kid's really fast (laughs) bit cheeky really fast dad's in prison got it um yeah because i i still don't really know how he got his powers uh or anything and i don't know i guess they were dropping those things in to try and tell the audience what he can and can't do because they haven't showed us that that is the accident scene isn't it from the from the Whedon cut about the oh so what happened you got struck by lightning mm-hmm. yeah kind of yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah it's 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 classic Whedon di- dialogue of like yeah I'm gonna get across this exposition try and make it a bit cheeky and funny and and basically imply what happened whilst having a bit of fun with it leaving leaving the scope in there to to tell it later but yeah in in this version it's just yeah I'm fast uh, I got those powers and I've basically done nothing with them up until now so let's go. <laughs> I was more confused by his costume, where, like, Batman's like, oh, yeah, this is a uh, space shuttle quality stuff. And yeah. uh, it looks really complicated <laughs> to get into. There's lots of, like, ropes holding it together. Yeah, lots and, of wires. And, uh, like... <laughs> and this this is a dude that's having to work four jobs to put himself through law school. But, or, or to be, yeah, to get, to, to try and get to become a lawyer. And yet he's managed to get hold of all of this super high-tech equipment. So either either he's stolen it, in which case 
he could do that to to get his foot in the door in a job as well, maybe. Um, or he's managed to afford to get hold of it legally. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. That suit that suit raises a lot of questions. More questions than the Spider-Man suit in, uh, in the Raimi Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we haven't talked about Aquaman much. Uh, one thing that did really tickle me was that Snyder added in more exposition for Aquaman, setting up the Aquaman movie that at the time we hadn't seen, but we now have seen. <laughs> so he added in a whole extra scene of setup for a movie that we've now seen and didn't need that setup for. <laughs> Again, bit self indulgent. <laughs> yeah you're you're totally right it's um but i do think because snyder is such a completist in that same scene aquaman gets his body armor and his um trident which we see in later scenes and i think snyder snyder's brain is no we need to show him getting the trident that he's gonna (laughs) reappear with later on um yeah i think it's purely that at this point rather than sort of the solo uh kind of thing but um but whereas but previously right did you did were you sat there going I wonder where he got that trident from. I was just like, oh, he's... He, he's a fisherman. Yeah, he's, he's, he's Aquaman. Of course he's got his stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we're, we're normal sane people, but I think Snyder <laughs> is on this, like, excessive, excessive binge where he's like, but how did he get the body armor? I need to do this. Um, I think I think it's even more jarring uh, now because we've had the solo Aquaman film where they've totally changed all of the laws of under... Un- the underwater world like yeah. yes. <laughs> um having to have these air bubbles to talk and having For weird better, like fish sounds when well. they're in the water which you don't get in the aquaman film do, do you agree all for the better in the aquaman film yeah absolutely yeah i think it works a lot a hell of a lot better it's a lot a lot less business um <laughs> i do like willem defoe's way i like that willem defoe's in the film and i also like that what the dialogue he says to Arthur actually matches up with the character in the Aquaman solo film because um, that could have gone all kinds of wrong um, they, yes. they, these could sort of live side by side but like they, they've changed the look of the character and Defoe is way more intense <laughs> in the Snyder version hmm. I think um, I think actually the mirror stuff in the Whedon Justice League was a little bit confusing I seem to remember it, it, it kind of confusing the the timeline slightly um i don't know if that's just me misremembering but yeah i think it's nice that she delivers some dialogue in this which sort of tell you know talks about his mother and sort of turns arthur around a bit like i i I do like that they fleshed aquaman out in this film because in the other one he he's he's got yeah i don't know he's 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 really badly drawn Did you notice? Did you notice, Joe? They they used a different take of the my man line. No, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit more like um, in the in the Whedon. It's like my man, and in this one, it's like my man. (laughs) Like it's more affectionate. I do. He still he still has a couple of those moments in this, but it definitely doesn't feel like that's his defining character trait. Yeah, it's not like he's a dickhead completely. I haven't gone back and listened to our original episode in 2017. I remember kind of... Be, I, my main memory has been really conflicted about is this worth worse than Batman versus Superman? Like, it it is, but also it doesn't have all of the Snyder stuff in it that I absolutely hate, so maybe it's not. <laughs> um, 
And like, do, do would I actually rather see Snyder just, you know, do his stuff, turn up to eleven and hate it, but know that that's a guy doing what he wanted to do than this kind of weird nothing of a movie? Um, and I think you know that 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 question has been answered. This is this is better. Mm. This is much better. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, yeah. I, my other memory of that podcast was just saying "my man" over and over again. <laughs> when I when I've been doing my epic rewatch, I have listened to every cinematic universe pod uh, of, of the you know, <laughs> oh, associating wow. film uh, with it, and uh, it's really awesome. fun. Like you know, capsules in in time and what we thought. But I think on that Justice League pod, like every Justice League pod at the time, you know, the, the studio was really downplaying how much extra stuff Whedon had shot. So I think most people were told, you know, like, oh, it's like 10 to 15 percent or whatever is just Whedon coming in and tidying up. You know, you won't even know he's here. <laughs> <laughs> but now we know. I still the, the problem is I still get it because, you know, we to go back to how this film looks, you know, it looks it looks great as a as a whole, as a piece. It looks fantastic. Um uh, some of the framing is gorgeous and um and and the way that Snyder really just really indulges in it um it's you know it's a nice movie to look at and you know the like like we said the the Whedon version just looks like a sitcom but <laughs> there are also times in this movie where I go jeez and especially now that we're getting this I I know I keep joking about it, this justice is gray edition <laughs> like <laughs> A black and white version of this movie. I saw the, you know, the, the Batman and Alfred scene that they released on it, of it, and I was watching. I was watching it just on a little Twitter in bed video, going like, "Oh my god, where are they?" <laughs> um, <laughs> and like there are, there is, yeah, there are absolutely. Cause this is a Zack Snyder movie where he he earned the ability to to be able to tell the studio no to everything. Um, there are times where I just think, yeah, this visually this movie disappears so far up its own ass, <laughs> and I can com- and and I can completely understand why originally they went. Can we just can we make this look a bit brighter and more fun? Yeah, it's supposed you know, to be same... about superheroes. Yeah, can we can we just can we just make this all look a bit like so people can see it? So like a heroic moment will will feel triumphant because the colour palette isn't all greys and browns and blacks. I was going to say, the joke of, like, doing a black and white version of this film is, like, isn't it already? Yeah. Like, it's so dull. <laughs> well, he's kind of, like... Unless something's lit- exploding. Yeah. <laughs> the lighting is really, um... It's really sort of harsh, and it sort of feels like they've lit it with the... This will look really cool in black and white uh, in the back of their minds. <laughs> It does I look mean, like I, the contrast filter has been put over it. I feel like a chunk, a decent chunk of that seventy million has been spent on the color grade. Mm. It's yeah, it, it's it's quite a thing at times. Um, <laughs> and that's and, and by the way, that's not me defending the the way that the Whedon version movie looks because it doesn't look good. Um, but you know, I think it's it's also why some of the other DC movies since Justice League have felt like a tonic. Yeah, well, that's um, the thing about Aquaman and Shazam, isn't it? That they yeah they both have a much lighter tone, and I mean that in the you know very literal sense. Like you can you can see lots of colours; they feel fun and bright in a way that Justice League doesn't. And admittedly, that's probably not what Snyder was going for. But God, could you imagine <laughs> trying to put a Shazam, a Shazam cameo in this? Movie? <laughs> 
How would that look? It would make more sense so, for Martian Manhunter in a way, because at least it's a character yeah. we've <laughs> seen. He, I think if Shazam was in this movie, he would be uh, traumatised. <laughs> it's him um, like knocking on the Justice League's door like, oh, can I join? And they're like, nah, kid. <laughs> yeah. this, this shit's too dark. <laughs> they're like, are you, are you willing to hug the skeleton of my butler? Because that's where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah seeing him in the future like dead or traumatized <laughs> or something that would be the, the snyder take on the shazam i mean here. there's a there's a really interesting template for that actually which is in kingdom come there's yeah. an evil version of shazam and he's like the government's enforcer and you know it's, it's really shocking to see that character corrupted because he does represent you know childlike innocence hmm. in a way it's it's more upsetting than seeing a sort of evil superman is because when you see an evil superman you're just rolling your eyes going like oh come on that would never happen but when you see that that little kid turned into someone evil you're going like oh no they they got shazam hey maybe you've just given Zack an idea. <laughs> i can only shazam assume Zack has never read kingdom come otherwise he'd have been all over it <laughs> Um, I think we should probably draw this to a close shortly. So, it, uh, if we if we maybe just go through and talk about a, a, if there's anything else that ste- that stuck out that we haven't talked about, that we <laughs> I've got li- likes or didn't like. I've got a few things that I want to just highlight. Okay. Um. So, uh, one of the scenes that I was sure was Whedon was the bit where Flash and Cyborg are digging up Superman's grave. And now, admittedly, the version in the Whedon cut was Whedon's reshoot of it. Mm-hmm. In the Zack, like the fact that it's in the Zack Snyder version surprises me at all. I think it's like Sam said about how Snyder can be a bit prosaic about his plot sometimes. And he's like, well, you know, if they're going to resurrect him, they need to go and get his body or whatever. But mm-hmm. it cracked me up. It was unintentionally hilarious that Cyborg and Flash are digging up Superman's corpse. <laughs> and Wonder Woman and Aquaman are just sitting by the truck having a coffee, being like, no, let those two jokers do it. Like, we're above this shit. <laughs> don't you know? We've I'm got solo movies. We don't yeah, need right? to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though those two, like, as the super strong ones, are probably better suited for the task. So anyway, I thought okay, that James, was funny. Um, I think I know what you're going to follow this up with. going to follow it up the... with the point I made on Twitter. Okay. Which is about how the, it is really tonally hilarious to me that when they're at Superman's monument there's a really poignant shot on the ground of someone who has scrawled the phrase, if you seek his monument, look around you. Then there's a wide shot of like a fucking giant statue of Superman. And you're like, no, if you seek his monument, it's that massive statue right there. It's been smashed though, hasn't it? Hasn't it been smashed by that point? Uh, not as far as I can remember, but even so, like, you know. You're at his, you're at his monument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and furthermore at that scene I was wondering if the the bit where they steal the mother box from a car park in the Whedon cut I was like surely that is a patch of a deleted action scene and again it sort of turns out it is in this movie but there is a massive action scene afterwards where they go down into the lab and they're like uh, this is where Cyborg's father dies and stuff and all that is cut from the Whedon version like, in the Whedon version, there's just a flash, and they're like, oh, I guess they took the mother box. 
that felt and all of that feels like unnecessary storytelling in the in the Snyder version not not that it doesn't like and when I when I keep saying this I still think it works within the movie <laughs> because that's what the movie's doing but like the movie the, Snyder has to have a so after Steppenwolf takes the mother box we need to know that uh, the, the heroes need a way to find out that they're in Chernobyl rather than you know it's the 21st century and if a big if a big dome has formed over Chernobyl that's probably where the villains are, yeah. <laughs> are hiding with the mother box. someone's probably got mobile um, phone footage of Steppenwolf walking in there with the mother box under his arm <laughs> and it also it, that that's also then the sequence that kills um, Cyborg's dad mm-hmm. and I guess you need I guess I guess you need that moment yeah well, that's important for Cyborg for sure yeah 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 um, but yeah so it's it's not quite as egregious as it just being stolen from the car park <laughs> Okay, and cut the, just, um, the "Do you bleed?" Uh, line, which Whedon now we know yeah. is a Whedon edition, um, which I think I, I think is I think that's good. Yeah, I like that. Maybe Snyder's saving it for part two. <laughs> I think the problem is it had um it had the mustache uh, version of Superman uh, delivering ah, it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one one more scene that I want to highlight, um, which is during the during the final sequence. Um, the final action sequence, sorry, where they they finally get Steppenwolf. Um, I really like how after a ma- uh, you know literally three hours of them just getting their asses handed to them by Steppenwolf, they finally they finally break through and you know they punch him back through the portal and cut him in half as he's going, and oh, like yeah. he literally lands at Darkseid's feet and they're just like, oh, I guess that's over then. And I just, I really enjoyed that moment of like the team coming together and achieving their goal. And it, it felt like they had come together. It was a sort of Avengers moment for me where you just went like, oh yeah, the team, the team has become a team. It also to me felt like, it felt like the moment where Snyder was going, look, I fucking did it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, Zack Snyder got to come back. I didn't pussy out of this. I stabbed him in the chest with a trident, <laughs> and then I had Wonder Woman decapitate him, and then and then Darkseid Dark stamps his head, yeah. on his head, and that's what you get when you employ Zack Snyder, <laughs> not that pussy shit that Whedon brought. <laughs> I liked it. Now, I, I really liked. Now that go moment. and read the Fountainhead, you <laughs> <Yeah>. cowards. <laughs> I I don't. I genuinely I liked that moment because I would just mm. I felt like it yes, was satisfying. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought it was good. It was it was the. Again, again, like those, that slightly more brutal version of these heroes, it feels more like a, a, a mythic, epic story, uh, you know, in a world populated by gods. Um, and, you know, it felt it felt in, in character for all of them how they all contributed to that sequence. It did, it did mean, though, that my favourite scene from the Whedon version got deleted, which is that the bit where they're fighting Steppenwolf and suddenly all the parademons just go like... Oh, hang on a oh, second! Yeah, We're yeah, fucking yeah. right off, and they all go back through the portal, and you're like, "Wait, what? What's going on?" And it's because Superman's turned up, and they're just like, "Fuck this! We're not fighting Superman." Like I remember saying the at the time, that was a that was a great moment for me because that's that's the kind of reaction bad guys should have when Superman turns up. <laughs> and and they all smell Steppenwolf's fear at the end, yeah. don't they? When when he knows he's lost, and then they attack him instead. Yeah, and but, that's that's a really good moment, yeah. but. That's you fine. can understand why yeah. they had to lose it, and I think they they replace it with something equally good. Yeah, 
I, Sam, I is there anything we haven't we haven't hit for you? Oh god, I got, I got a list as long as my arm. No, um, I, I, <laughs> I I I do think uh, like a couple of really key things for me. I loved the Junkie XL score. I thought Danny Elfman's that score was, was hugely was compromised uh, mm-hmm. in the yeah. in the other one, and I think it just adds. It's a huge operatic score. You know, I think there's also some really great soundtrack choices like. Um, the two Nick Cave songs we uh, we hear played over some very sad moments, including um, uh, "Distant Sky," which is you know the song about Nick Cave's uh, when he lost his son, and they play it over yeah. Lois Lane mourning Superman, uh, bringing a coffee to old Jimmy Olsen, who I did notice they they recast that cameo Smart. of um, Mark, McClure, Mark McClure, who's yeah. in the Whedon version, he's in the Flash scene um, as like a prison guard. And he's a police officer in this scene oh, wow. uh, with Lois, and I, I just wonder, like, that's a really weird thing to do. Like, what, what the the contractual thing with was him, or if there's really goodwill at Warner Brothers to Mark McClure, and we're like, we've cut your big cameo as the cop who gets coffee from Lois Lane, <laughs> but don't worry because you're going to be an amusing prison guard <laughs> in the Ezra Miller scenes. <laughs> It's just weird as well for uh, Zack Snyder to be showing the character of Jimmy Olsen in some respect. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, maybe that was a, a, a <laughs> atonement Batman from... Uh, <laughs> maybe he got a letter from the Jimmy Olsen Society uh, after yeah. BVS. It was like, you need to treat this character with some respect. He's DC royalty. Um, <laughs> now, now he gets a lovely coffee. So the contractual That's a nice cameo. moment. It's a, it's a, it is a nice moment, though, with Lois. It's really nice. And the coffee looks beautiful. We see two close-ups on flat whites being made in this film. <laughs> they both looked really, really delicious. Um, I did... It also really made me laugh as she as she, wa- she walks out of that coffee shop in slow motion. I was like, why is this scene in slow motion? Are we gonna... And there isn't a reason. And then... And then, yeah, I just made the Ayn Rand joke. Uh, there is a there is a newspaper in that scene with a Fountainhead reference on it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's why the daughter of um, Atlas is showing up in Shazam. It's an <laughs> Atlas Shrugged reference. You've united the two. <laughs> Um, i think i think jeremy irons although a problematic human um his alfred is really good in this film like i think he's got some fun moments like even though they're weird and they do not need to be in the film like an a prolonged conversation about how to make tea with wonder woman (laughs) it was i was irritated by the phrase scald the tea it's not the tea you're scalding it's the milk Uh, get it right, Alfred. You've been doing this all your life. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> no, I really like. Weird. <laughs> I liked the um in one. Of, Alfred is you know he wears so many hats in this film. He's flying all of the machinery and he's on the computer yeah. and he's making the tea and he's also making Chekhov's gauntlet. Um, and there's a really fun <laughs> moment with Wonder Woman when he explains what he's making and she's like. Oh, gauntlets that absorb power and you know can throw it back at the enemy. Oh, I know those. Um, and yeah, then wonder where he got that on. idea. <laughs> Actually doing that, I thought that was fun. Like I, I, I just quite enjoyed that stuff. And and Alfred looks sharp um, in this. You know, he's got his barber jacket on. He's got his army boots. Um, I was I was into it. I was digging the the Alfred look uh, here. I still have a huge question mark over J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon. Like. What did yeah. he get paid to do these two <laughs> tiny, tiny scenes? <laughs> it's just odd. And why is and I, well, I think it's I think it's a hangover from Batman versus Superman to me. This is a bat. This is a dark version of Batman who's gone off the rails and is branding. <laughs> yeah. So why why are they calling him? 
Yeah. Why is Commissioner Corden working with this? Yeah, with this psychopath, exactly. Yeah, let's. But that, I mean, you watch the Affleck performance in this, and the idea of him branding a villain just yeah. doesn't. It's just not the same guy, is it? Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's which is what I mean about. I think it, I think it really benefits from the, from distance from that movie. Uh, there's like lots of fun lines, which I'm surprised. I thought all of the, like comedy, quote unquote comedy lines would be Whedon, and I, I was. Yeah, amazed to see my man uh, was not Whedon. Um, but there's a couple of goofy lines which are fun. Like I, I do like the "What's your superpower?" Um, I'm, I'm rich. rich. Yeah, uh, that's that's a funny that's, that sequ- that's a funny gag. But that then- sequence remained intact pretty much, didn't it, between the two movies? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, and there's extra dialogue with him talking about how he needs to eat. To I, I can't remember if that's in the Whedon cut. I don't think it is. I think I think it is, but I yeah, who uh, knows? We. There's also a couple of goofy lines which don't land, and I I just think Zack Snyder probably thinks they're amazing, and they they land flat. Like Cyborg saying when Diana says we should get dressed about putting on their superhero costumes, Cyborg undoes his hoodie and goes, "I'm always dressed." <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> that's that's my secret, Diana. I'm always dressed. Like, or, this will be a meme or, for the next ten years. Are you always years. naked? <laughs> yeah, it's just a uh, it's it's uh, a it's. <laughs> it's kind of nuts and alfred's got a few of those as well where he's sort of talking to bruce in like metaphors and and he even because we didn't talk about the the chapter title cards and one of them is all the king's horses and then moments later alfred says all the king's horses and all the king's men uh to to bruce but i yeah i kind of like that clunky dialogue which snyder probably thinks is brilliant and uh i don't know why he he kept the chapter cards given as because, you know, this movie changed what it was going to be three or four times since it was announced, didn't it? It was going to be, it was going to be a, it was going to be a movie and then it was going to be a miniseries and then it was going to be re- a miniseries but released all at one. And it, and ultimately he keeps the title cards, but I'm not sure they add anything. It, and it certainly doesn't feel like it breaks the film up into digestible I mean, chunks. the only thing I would say is that I, when I was watching the film, I did it in three sittings because I was like, four hours is too much. I'm going to squeeze it in. And... The point where I paused it at the end of uh, um, the first sitting, I I quit about an hour and five minutes in or something. Um, And I stopped after a scene. And when I came back and pressed play, the first thing I saw was the chapter three title card. And I was like, okay, so I did. I chose a good point to break it then. (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) It's quite fun. You could you can have conversations now like. Yeah, well, I got up to the age of heroes, but I've not done Beloved Mother, Beloved Son yet. Yeah. Um, look forward to Change Machine. Uh, I mean, in a way, I think it, it sort of justifies the fact that, like, you know, Flash and Cyborg aren't in the first hour of the film because it's like, well, they're not in that chapter of the movie, but they turn up later. Mm. You know, I think it's just a it's a different way of looking at the text. I guess it sort um, of adds, like, a graphic I- novel quality to it, like like you know like the square paneling and that sort of stuff having these chapter titles maybe that's yeah. what he's going for with it i don't know if that's being generous <laughs> <laughs> i think at some point he was attached to the idea of those as episode names and then mm. went ah no actually i'm i i, I like them so i'm gonna keep them in my four-hour movie <laughs> yeah. why not he's got um, everything else in it <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the score, Sam. I thought the score was really good. And I also thought uh, what, you know, what kind of hits home as you're watching this is all of these characters 
Well, most of these characters have really strong, recognisable themes already. Mm. Um, and you know, when and when the Superman theme does eventually turn up, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I remember that guy. <laughs> it's quite emotional. I, I thought they use it really well. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think they I think they do a pretty good job of of weaving that into the score, which again is a score that feels more coherent than the one that we got the first time around. Um, and then I think the other the other thing that that is worth mentioning again, I'm not sure whether that this was something that Snyder was going to set up the first time around, and that there was plans for it to show up, for this character to show up down the line. But um, we get Ryan Choi in the Star Lab sequences, who I believe is a character called Atom. Mm. James, yes, uh, the Atom. Uh, yeah, the okay. So he doesn't get much to do in this movie. Um, but you know, felt felt significant to me that they were setting up an Asian superhero, um, and interesting that you know that that character, unless it was completely reshot, but I'd I'd, I'd be surprised uh, that that character didn't make the Whedon cut um, in the same way that a lot of the kind of the the key female character moments didn't didn't make that version either. Um, just uh, yeah, felt like a shame that 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 was another thing that the original movie had decided to cut because I'm not sure why. I mean, yeah, I, I guess the be. question for me is why is it in there if they were they planning to follow it up? It doesn't seem like there's any appetite at DC for making an Atom movie or putting the Atom no, in other films. So I can sort of see maybe, if you were maybe, trying to trim the runtime, why you would get rid of that supporting character in a cyborg movie, right? Maybe were were there plans for a cyborg movie at any point? Yeah, yeah, there were. Yeah, like it was announced when Ray Fisher was cast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's much appetite on either side <laughs> to make that movie no. now, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, thought, thought that was an, an interesting cameo that was in there as well. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of... I, I on, a, on a first watch, kind of raised this from a one and a half star for the Whedon cut to a three star for the Snyder cut. I think I'm closer to about three and a half now. Like I say, it still has enough stuff fundamentally in the middle of it. It still has fucking Steppenwolf (laughs) and it has dark side stuff that I don't know and care about. And if I was ever going to get near four stars, that epilogue sequence (laughs) would have to go right off. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, competent, coherent, enjoyable. um, It, it, I think it's a you know it's a complete rehabilitation for Snyder. Um, it's a it's a vindication for him, and I'm I'm happier for him than I am for um, most of those fans. Um, and it's just a shame that already um, the you know the 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 discourse online hasn't been let's spend a week reveling in this thing that we've just seen that we absolutely. You know, we've been dying to see for four years and we've been, like, against all odds, we've been able to see it. It's already, it's restored the Snyderverse. It's what's next. What what can we get next? Can we get our Deathstroke movie? movie? Can we get our David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad? Yeah. I, I, would just, I, I would just appeal to all of those, you know, those fans that love those things, that love this movie. Spend some time loving it. Just, just do that first because <laughs> it's... It's so fucking improbable that this happened in the first place. Mm. Enjoy that film. And then, I don't know, like, does Zack Snyder want to work with Warner Brothers again? I don't know if he does. 
I mean, we we know that one of the key stars of this movie is in a in a very open dispute with the studio about what happened during this film. Um, has been removed from a flash sequel. Um, I I would yeah, I I I think just enjoy this this film because. Uh, it's it's better than I imagined it would have been from from every even the stuff that Snyder had been saying in the past couple of months and even from the promotional material we've we've seen. Um, yeah, I I was impressed. So sounds like we all were. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think you know if you if you want more of the the Snyderverse, just watch it again. I watched it twice in uh, you know a few days apart. You know, which is <laughs> for a four hour film. It's it's and it is quite a commitment, but it it goes down really well a second time. You know, I, the amazing thing about this film is the four hours, for me at least, like flew by and I found it quite an easy watch, even though, you know, I'd seen it a couple of days before that. Um, it does sort of appeal to my things I, you know, other superheroes films I enjoy. Like I love Dark Knight Rises, which is similarly pompous and overblown <laughs> and an end game as well. You know, it's a three hour movie that flies by uh, for me. So, but yeah, I, I think this is, has got that. It, it kind of works and it's a fun watch on a second viewing. Um, let's just do that and then after that you can go and just watch your favourite chapter just go in for All the King's Men here we go 40 minutes of fun with Alfred <laughs> I I look forward to because all of these all of these individual parts are under 90 minutes ha. I am looking forward to six upcoming episodes of 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest <laughs> release the Snyder <laughs> cuts <Getting> into... <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, that was Zack Snyder's Justice League. James, do you have any comic book recommendations, any Justice League comic stuff that uh, would be worth putting on our listeners' radar? Um, so what I did for this was I I went to see what are the Justice League comics doing at the moment? Um, and what I discovered is that Brian Bendis has just been made writer of the Justice League comics, which is... Mm. Fairly interesting, you know, he had a massive career at Marvel and then made the jump to DC a couple of years ago. They put him on Superman. Um, and famously at Marvel was much better on his solo stuff than on his This is what stuff. I was about to get to. Like, having <laughs> yeah. having read Bendis when he wrote Daredevil, which was incredible, and Ultimate Spider-Man, which was great, um, I know that there's a great writer in there. The problem is his team books are not that... Um, they have this problem of too many characters standing around doing nothing. The plots don't really cohere. It just feels like he doesn't know how to write for multiple characters at once and just sort of passes the ball between between people without putting in any subplots or texture. Um, so that's sort of what happens in this Justice League book, sadly. Um, I will say I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed his Avengers titles, but that might speak largely to my sort of general lack of familiarity with the DC characters anyway. Like, one of the problems he had in Avengers is that he would he would get people's voices badly wrong um, because they all had the Brian Bendis voice. And reading his Justice League book, I, I sort of don't know which characters are far off model because there are some kind of obscure ones in there. Um, the team at the moment is quite, it's kind of an unconventional team. Um... It's not like a big seven team. So you've got Superman, Batman, and Aquaman. Um, But then on Green... uh, Sorry, no Green Lantern. No Green Lantern, no Wonder Woman. Um, Hawkgirl is in the team. Green Arrow and Black Canary are in the team. 
Um, Hippolyta is in the team taking over the place of Wonder Woman, who got ran out as part of a recent sort of big event story. Um, Bendis has introduced uh, a new superhero, which he wrote a miniseries for recently, and who was recently in Young Justice called uh, Naomi. She's just just called Naomi. She doesn't have a code name yet. Um, So she's joining the team, it looks like, which is... Interesting, I guess. It's it's unusual to put a new character, a rookie character like that on the team, but it's not unprecedented. You know, when Firestorm was in the Justice League, it was because because the writer had just created him and wanted that character in a more prominent position, so fair enough. Um, the thing that interests me, and that might actually make me pick up the, the book going forward, is that Black Adam has joined the team as well. And so initially the Justice League are responding to a threat that, like a new villain who's arrived and attacked Black Adam's sort of, you know, territory. Um, And Ollie Queen, the Green Arrow, makes the sort of point that actually the Justice League has been very samey for a long time. Why don't we get some new voices in here? And the implication is that Black Adam is going to be brought onto the team to be like, ordinarily we would not not want to hang out with this guy but maybe he brings a new perspective so Fun. that sort of interests me yeah I think I might give it a couple of issues and see how it goes excellent we might have to get you to report back <laughs> <laughs> okay um, it's the time of the show where we uh, invite in producer Reese. hello Reese has just been listening us to us bang on about Justice League but now he's here <laughs> to deliver the pitch pitch this week so you have $70 million and Zack Snyder and you give it to him and you say, Zack, love Justice League, love what you did with it. I want you to give me a Snyderized four-hour version with reshoots, that's what the money's for, of a pre-existing um, superhero film. Which one do you pick? Who's up first? You. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, this is very easy for me. Um, it is Man of Steel. You take the $70 million, you completely reshoot the third act. Uh, you, I, I'll be honest, you probably tinker with the rest of the movie a little bit as well. Um, but completely reshoot the third act. Don't make Superman a dick. Um, release the... Hashtag release the Superman is not a dick. Cut. And, um, and, and in so doing, you also write Batman v Superman out of existence and you cut straight from that too. You just uh, maybe maybe you kill him in the final <laughs> sequence. <laughs> that, he dies in the final sequence, and we cut straight. Zod snaps to his neck Snyder's and then Justice just flies League. off. <laughs> yeah, the end. <laughs> let's now let's do a Justice League. Uh, James, you're next. Uh, I would give him seventy million to improve Justice League because it, it worked out fine the first time. <laughs> I want I want to see I want to see the stuff with the uh, anti-life equation. I want to see Darkseid come to Earth. Just tack that on at the end. Let's have let's have that instead of the stupid epilogues. <laughs> okay, sure. So I, I'm thinking that you know Snyder's going to bring whatever you know the seven. He's going to make this film into a four-hour movie, and I'm thinking of which of the DC films I want to see more of. I want a four-hour mm. Aquaman. So <laughs> get Snyder under the sea with all of his fish pals I want more drumming octopus I want more Brian King I want Julie Andrews back I want her to mocap the uh, the giant crab monster 
I I just want more Aquaman really, and he can go go crazy with it, you know. So it's two hours long at the moment, two hours twenty minutes. <laughs> Let's have another hour and forty minutes of Aquaman, please. Uh, a, t- a ten a ten minute sequence where Dolph Lundgren dyes his hair underwater. <laughs> more slow mo, slow mo people riding sharks with guns on, people riding seahorses, uh, all of that sort of stuff, and actually maybe it some sound, singing. Sounds because- a bit whimsical. <laughs> there's yeah, no singing problem... in aquaman i want someone to sing at the sea i also want someone to sing at the sand right? i think the problem with that i think uh, the wind goes to james this week because again Joe, yes. man, man, oh, boo. Joe, man of steel's good and shouldn't be changed so that's, <laughs> we'll, we'll that. and and sam i think the stuff that we, the stuff that you like that everybody likes about aquaman Snyder doesn't, and you wouldn't. You just wouldn't get. That's a fool's errand. That's a Faustian pact. You wouldn't get really what you want from that. You'd get. <laughs> he'd reshoot. He'd weird. use the seventy million to turn all of the action back to his. Yeah. Yeah. He'd that desaturate all of the colours. <laughs> <laughs> the octopus would get ripped to bits. No drama. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so James, spent, slightly by we default, spent all of the movie week. in the trench. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, they're making it, aren't they? They are make. You know, maybe. Oh, Zach. The, Zach Snyder's the trench. <laughs> get in the trench, Zach. Release the Zach Snyder trench cut. <laughs> uh, so it's t- two weeks in a row with James. I, I pr- probably should keep track of that. Shouldn't give you the win, just arbitrarily next time round. But uh, <laughs> you know. it was a good pitch. You know, James deserved it. He deserved. it. <laughs> I enjoyed all of those pictures. <laughs> that, that was very, very good. <laughs> okay, um, Sam, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, where should our listeners go to find you online? Uh, well, if you're listening to this on uh, some sort of podcast app, uh, type in 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest and hear us talk about films which are not four hours long. Mm. Um, you can <laughs> you can find an episode with Joe uh, not talking about a superhero yeah. film. Uh, and you can also <laughs> listen to... We have covered a couple of animated superhero films. I think that's the only way we can cover this genre. So we've had <laughs> Mask of the Phantasm and Return of the Joker, uh, two Batman movies. One of them with uh, one of your previous guests, Amon Warman, uh, who's a big DC animated movie fan I've discovered <laughs> and, uh, and yeah I had I mean I, I love both of those films it was fun to talk about but uh, yeah search for search for uh, for that if you want more film related uh, pods and I'm on Twitter at Sam underscore Clements uh, just for my hot takes on the Justice League <laughs> I also um, remember I think you got a couple of recommendations for um, Teen Titans go to the movies on your Christmas special that year. Yes, uh, uh, yeah, we did. I, I'd love to cover that on the show one day. I need a guest yeah. to uh, to choose it. Oh, they should release a, a new cut of that, updated with some more Snyder cut. <laughs> 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 well, Drop that on HBO Max later this year. <laughs> um, well, um, Sam, thank you so much for joining us, um, listeners. I, I highly recommend that you should do that. Um, go seek out some Sam's podcast. It's excellent and. Tweet him demanding the six uh, episodes of Snyder Cut on his podcast. <laughs> um, listeners, um, if you uh, would like to head to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe, you can subscribe to um, our feed for $3 a month and you will get a weekly exclusive bonus episode. We are talking Falcon and the Winter Soldier at the moment. We'll be talking Loki later in the year uh, in June, I think, when that um, when that premieres and we've got we've been cooking up some really fun plans for the for the bonus episodes that are going to land in between now and then uh so yeah head to patreon three dollars a month if you want to get access to all of that stuff 
Um, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this episode and you're not already subscribing, please do subscribe in your podcast app of choice um, and uh, give us a nice little rating on your podcast app of choice as well. <laughs> Cheeky five stars on the Apple Podcast, that'd be lovely. Um, if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter at cine underscore verse. I'm at Joe Cunningham fourteen, and James is at James Hunt. You can email us at podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. Uh, let us know what you thought of the Snyder Cut. We will be back in two weeks. Uh, you can hang around until after the credits to find out what we'll be covering. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hand me down the shock-repellent Batsbury. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Batman the Movie, 1966. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.